0: My four-year-old son was Skeletor. We bought him all this stuff, and he'd run around the house saying, I am the power. And Gary Goddard, the director, called me in to meet with him, and it was a terrible script. Just awful. But I couldn't resist the 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 challenge of trying to make him real and believable. And I wanted my four-year-old, of course, to see me a Skeletor. I spent hours and hours and hours with Bud Westmore trying to get the look. And I pulled everything I could out of The Man with a Thousand Faces. I would call Gary at two o'clock in the morning and say, look at this line I found. Tell me about the loneliness of good. Is it equal to the loneliness of evil? And we had many of those in the movie. Most of what I said was rewritten or ad-libbed on the spot. I remember Paul Newman, when I asked him, what do you do if you're playing a character where the person opposite you isn't helping and the director might be giving you bad ideas or your costume doesn't fit or you don't like a piece of makeup? And he answered in four words, I play my character and it's brilliant advice for any young actor don't try to make up for it don't try to overcome another actor don't try to do too much in order to make up for the fact that the dialogue isn't good just play your character and talk honestly the film was not a great success but over the years it's become a great camp movie and many many people over the years have said how could you do that you know it's a great deal of superiority and i would say i think it's one of my best performances i loved doing it the story that will make you laugh about that is that i asked if i could have a private screening of it when it was finished i bought my four-year-old i gave him a big bag of popcorn he sat next to me and i thought oh my son could be so proud of me he fell asleep in the first reel (laughs) i don't think he ever even saw me
1: fans welcome back to a brand new episode of not to bomb podcast this is the podcast where we go back and talk about the movies that bombed in the theaters or maybe the critics just tore apart when it was released brad we are doing a film that you picked which i i think is in the pantheon of movie bombs uh some might say
2: i would say so it's like a big i wouldn't say big intellectual property but it's a property with a star coming off of a huge success. And yeah, from Canon Group.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those tales of films that it, it just did so poorly that it contributed to the bankruptcy of a company. So there's a lot of interesting film history behind this. But before we go down that rabbit hole, how about you introduce this week's guest? Because we, we worked really hard on getting this person on the show because um, this has been a long time coming uh, to talk about this film
2: yeah we're very happy to have Zo back from the backlook cinema podcast So how are you sir
3: I'm doing great I'm excited to be here we're I've been excited to be have waiting have you, <laughs> with bated breath <laughs> well it's it's funny this this
1: came up on the list and when we were sort of talking behind the scenes, and you knew we were going to talk about this. You're like, I, I have to be on that show. So I assume this
3: property holds a special place to you. Yeah, absolutely. This is what I uh, grew up with. It. I was actually um, aging out of the He-Man and the Master of the Universe stuff. It was at that point, I'm holding on to my childhood. So maybe I'm like 13 or 14 years old. I'm, I'm actually getting too old for this sort of thing. But I I loved that show. So I tried to catch every episode. It's up there with like the Transformers or Thundercats or, you know, all of the great cartoons of that era. Okay. So yeah, we're,
1: this is interesting. We're, we're talking about a film that is inspired both by the toy line and in the eighties when they would come up with the television show to sell the toy loan. T- Have the we toy said line, what, right?
2: what we're doing, actually doing?
1: Um, I thought so. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. We're it's been a long 1987,
2: day. Nineteen eighty-seven. <laughs> Masters of the Universe. There we
1: go. Masters of the Universe. The
2: motion picture. You think after so many episodes,
1: <laughs> we we would have been a little bit better at this? <sighs> Boy, my excuse. All, three, all as, three
2: of us. All three of us do podcasts too. So like we're dropping the ball.
1: That's right. True. Right. Well, hey, look. Before we start talking about the film, I do have a quick question. So all of us are of age. Um, ex- except for you, Brad, you're a little bit younger. However, you've had incarnations of, of this type of property because it, it never really went away. It just um, fell off the, the popular toy shelves and then was uh, kind of sitting out there for a little bit in limbo and then would come back, right. With some kind of resurgence, Mm -hmm. but there are some toy lines from the eighties that I'm curious. I, I wanted to ask you guys if, if you were interested when they were popular or even if you're interested in them now, because when I go through this, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of things that maybe started in the eighties, either as toys or cartoons and are actually going pretty strong today. So, um, so you've already talked about masters of the universe. You were a big fan of the toy line and the cartoon, right? That is correct. What about you, Brad?
3: Now growing up, uh, Right. <laughs> growing up in poverty, couldn't actually afford all of the toys, but I was able to get grab a couple of them. <laughs> oh, okay. what
1: Do you remember your favorite of that franchise? Like your favorite toy? One of
3: my favorite toy?
1: Yeah, from the Masters um, of the Universe.
3: Oh, overall
1: toy? Oh, no, no. Just from Masters of the Universe.
3: Oh, okay. Um, well, I can only speak to the ones that I actually owned. So I had the one that could fly, but I can't remember his name. I, I don't want to say it's Falcon or, or Birdman. It wasn't any of those. But he was a gray Birdman shaped character and he had kind of like wings that were affixed to his arm and he came from a whole race of people so zoran Zoron, Soron, I, I can't remember but it was a bird figure and i'm pretty okay. sure i had like one other figure but i just can't remember but there has since as you mentioned been a resurgence of the original characters so i rebought the bird man and i i bought fisto because i never had a fisto figure and um uh, I think I got a, a He Man and, and a Evelyn and a Skeletor because I never owned those. Oh, nice.
1: Okay. What What about you, Brad? what What was your take on this franchise?
2: Yeah, I never was into the cartoon. Um, I I would always kind of watch it in passing, but I was never. It never really spoke to me. I was more of a GI Joe, mask and uh, Transformers. So He Man just never really did it for me. I did somehow inherit some of the toys just from kids around the neighborhood, having them and them leaving them at your house. So I would have He-Man and like the furry guy, Beastmaster, I think. And but that was about my exposure to it. I, I just it never really spoke to me. Yeah. The homoeroticism wasn't speaking to me at the age of six, Troy. Which is weird. That's really yeah, weird. I know. I was, you know, later on, homoeroticism would speak to me, but just not <laughs> at a young age. <laughs> I, I, I'll,
1: I'll be honest, I was in the same camp. I was the only thing I liked about He Man was Skeletor. I thought it was an awesome character. And even when I caught the cartoon, he reminded me so much of one of my favorite characters, Cobra Commander. Just, I, I guess I've always been attracted to these inept villains that somehow manage to have like armies and resources and people follow them, but they're, they're just some of the dumbest people ever. What do you follow, where do you follow Dr. Claw from Spectre Gadget? Dr. Claw? Mm-hmm. That was, um, past my, okay my interest in these kind of things. <laughs> We're talking the eighties, Brad, not, Sorry. was it Spectre Gadget like nineties? Did he come out in the nineties? Yeah.
3: I, no, actually, I think it was the late 80s because the theme to Inspected Gadget was the backdrop. It was the sampled in a very popular song called The Show by, uh, I'm trying to remember the names. I was just listening to it. Um, the Human Beatbox, Dougie Fresh, and Slick Rick the Ruler. Oh, okay. So the show is a very popular, it is said to be the most sampled song in the history of music so you will hear elements of the show in other people's song uh so like one of them is um when uh there's a line that goes six minutes six minutes six minutes Dougie fresh you're on uh uh on uh, uh on and then you hear that god. Like, uh, rap god uh, right I mean, you're it, hearing a rap god I think uh Biggie Small sampled it it's sampled in hundreds of songs in most genres so <laughs> it's, it's uh and it all starts from them sampling Inspector Gadget.
1: Oh, yeah, see, I know nothing about Inspector Gadget. I know there was the Matthew (laughs) Broderick film in the 90s. See, I equate it with the 90s cartoon because of the film in 99, I guess.
3: Oh, yeah. Right, right, yeah, I think it was earlier than, that's what I'm I'm suspecting, I'm not gonna look it up, but I'm suspecting it was the late 80s. Um, It was a riff on James Bond, The Dr. Claw that Brad was referring to was a riff on one of James Bond's enemies uh, who had a cat but you never saw Doctor Claw. You only heard his voice and see him petting the cat. Okay, and and um, well, he Inspector Gadget never actually saw crimes. Okay,
1: what, what about GI Joe? Um, where did you guys land on GI Joe? Love GI Joe. What about you, Zoe?
3: Yeah, I kind I kind of like GI Joe. I it's I don't want to say that I hate watched it, but I did end up watching it. Like if there was nothing else on, I would watch GI Joe. I had a is I guess I'm. I was more interested in Di Joe than I w- was willing to admit. It was like I was way into some of the characters, like Snake Eyes. I think Snake Eyes is probably my favorite character. I know many of the characters, like Duke and Roadside, and uh, what's her name, Lady Jane Scarlet. I say I know them and, and I know some of the stories, but I'm not deep into it. Like I'm not, I couldn't tell you like the the relationship between Duke and the Cobra Commander, or why Snake Eyes can't talk. Or, you know, that I've seen like some versions of those stories, but I don't know what the, the canon is.
1: Okay. Yeah. G.I. Joe is my jam. I, it, I liked it. it okay. Had, it had ninjas and Cobra Commander. Yeah. 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 So <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I have every issue of the original Marvel Comics series, too, um, which is fantastic. So we've already mentioned this one. Transformers, um, again, a franchise was never really big into uh, cartoon really didn't do it for me. I did. I did like the GI Joe versus Transformer issue that I think Marvel yeah, did. Yeah, but... I actually have that. Okay, were, well, were you guys it. Transformer fans back in the eighties? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I love Transformers. Got it.
3: Super loved it.
1: Really. Okay. I I will say it was a big fan yeah, of the I film. Was... I think I think because of its music more so than the film itself. <laughs> yeah.
3: Man, I, when I saw the first commercial, the f- first commercial for the transformers i think i saw was actually a commercial for the comic book i think the comic book came out probably uh months before the actual cartoon so it was uh and then you know you see these vehicles rolling around and all of a sudden they transformed to the robots i was done i was hooked i was i was already in love it was love at first transform and then like the last one of the last ones they showed in the commercial was a tractor trailer and he transformed to a giant robot and he pulled out this gigantic gun and i was done oh and then they had this this tape recorder transformed to a robot and he pushed he punched a button on his shoulder and a cassette came out and then the cassette transformed see i was done when you had the, the guy <laughs> transform a the tape cadet sound wave when sound wave transformed i was done i was like that's cool a tape deck transforms into a robot that's cool and then a tape deck comes out. And I was like, well, that's even more awesome. It's a toy where a tape deck can come out. That's great. And then a tape deck transform? That's too much. It's too much. Now I'm all the way in nirvana because a cassette transformed. And so I was hooked the Transformers ever since then.
1: If I were to explain that to my kids, they'd be like, what's a tape deck?
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: That is exactly right. Um Teenage Mutant there's Ninja There's a guy Turtle. that has a
2: vinyl room in his house. Yeah, it's
1: true. that's true. Um <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did what I I know there's the film, there was also the TV show, but they also had a, a an action figure line too. Did you guys dip your toes in any of that?
2: I had all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action
3: figures. Oh, nice. Like all literally all
2: of them.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah. So I had a funny relationship with them. I was like it was one of those things that were in the culture like i knew about them way back when they were the comics and people just loved to talk about these comics i would go to school and we would talk about comics and i used to collect this magazine called wizard the guide to comics and it would be all of these uh you know stories about the teenage mutant ninja turtles and why it's so popular and, and things of that nature but it was one of those comics that were sold at uh, comic shops as opposed to bookstores or 7-eleven which was what i I had access to. So I never actually got to see like the original books. But by the time they came on television, I was hooked. I love the the television, the cartoon, the first cartoon, um, and some of the other cartoons that came out regarding them. And I love the uh, uh the first movie, the first live action movie that they did. That was absolutely magical when I saw that.
1: Yeah, I I knew of them from the comics because I have all the original Eastman Laird comics, the black and whites. And yeah. um yeah. they actually <laughs> They actually made a really good um, tabletop RPG game too that I, that I collected as well. Didn't do so much the toys and everything, but the comics and the RPG were fantastic. Uh, okay, here here's some other ones that were popular. How about the real Ghostbusters? Anybody collect any of that stuff?
2: A little bit. I was a big Ghostbusters fan. Uh, my son has gotten into the real Ghostbusters, and I've gone back and watched it, and it is atrocious. The, so bad. The cartoon's really bad. <laughs> oh, it's really bad.
1: Okay,
3: I don't he know.
2: Loves, I could, he loves it, but man, I sit there and watch, and it's embarrassing.
3: What about I you don't said? know. I, I love those cartoons. I guess maybe it didn't age well. I had not <laughs> seen it since I first watched it, but I remember when it was out. I love those cartoons, and um, and partly because one of the voice actors was Lorenzo Music. So this is back when voice actors can be famous and notable notable <laughs> but now it's like it's almost like they're being phased out by like screen actors or tv actors but uh, uh lorenzo lorenzo music was one of those actors that you knew who he was when you heard his voice he was a voice on a bunch of cartoons and tv shows he was on um two time whatever that one was with with the tools and the two the time show How um was the, home improvement home improvement. <laughs> improvement yeah yeah he was the guy that was behind the fence and you couldn't see no yeah i think it was a guy that was behind the fence you oh. could never see his whole face you only see wilson like he was wilson i think so i might be wrong <laughs> i know that he was on was one say, of those just blew my mind of this, right? <laughs> okay I, I just know that you you never see his whole face all right here, here's another
1: one thundercats any any fans? Oh, yeah,
3: yeah. I love the Thundercats. I don't think I may have had like one or two of the toys because again, I'm poor, but yeah, I love the Thundercats cartoon. Okay. Brad Thundercats no, fan?
2: wasn't a Thundercat guy.
3: Okay.
1: I, I remember watching the cartoon and, and thinking it was, it was trippy, but that was it. Um, okay, here we go. <laughs> Dino Riders. Anybody remember these guys?
3: Yeah, I remember them, but I wasn't a fan, not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah, uh, because um, like some of the stuff I aged out of. So I think that was aimed at a younger audience. I feel like that was aimed at like five and younger.
1: Okay. How about how about you, yeah. Brad? No,
3: no, I wasn't. No, no.
1: All right. Try this one. Visionaries, Knights of the Magical Light. Apparently
3: that was kind of popular. No, dude. I still remember some of the rhymes from that show. <laughs> from Visionaries. So it was popular. Okay.
1: Because I saw this title. I'm like, and I, I saw some of the animation. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Oh, they had the
3: things on their chest right so okay. holograms was a big thing back yes. in the 80s right so even the transformers had holograms they put transformer i mean they put holographic stickers on every okay thing. i had a so, lot of those
2: figures and you would kind of rub on it and it would like yeah right whoa, whoa, whoa. right you see that uh, right. so you'd rub on it listen and something would happen
1: <laughs> nothing's ever gonna beat the zartan action figure from gi joe that you would, you could put mass on it. You put out in the sunlight, it changed colors. That was the greatest action figure ever. Visionary knights of the
2: magical light. Good God, I haven't right. thought about that in forever. I am going to watch that now.
1: Okay,
3: here's another. Uh, I one. remember the, uh, I remember the theme song. I remember the rhymes. It was, it was pretty awesome. They oh, had a wow. comic book version, but the cartoon was way better.
1: Okay, how about this one? I have, the, I have the comic series of this
3: uh, mask. Oh hell yeah! Yeah. yeah? Uh, I remember mask. I I loved them. Didn't have any of the toys. That was that was way outside my price range because it's basically you want to buy the vehicles and it, you know it was just too much. But I I love that show. All right. What would do you remember what
2: mask stood for, Troy?
3: I do. Do you?
2: Mobile armored strike
3: command with a K.
1: Command with a K. That's right. Yeah.
3: Yep.
1: <laughs> okay. Here's another one. Centurions.
3: Yes, I remember the centurions. Um. I don't remember much about them. Um, I those were the man and machine, right? I have no idea. I, I oh, again I, I would can't. look at it
1: and I go, I've never seen this before.
3: Right, right, right. Um, I remember the name Centurion, but I it's like it's kind of I would have to look it up to to jog my memory.
1: Okay. This one I think is British. It's a British toy line, but apparently it was super popular. Manta Force, which stood for multiple air, naval, terrain assault force. Anybody familiar with this? I think it was a UK nope. thing. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if any of our listeners in the UK could tell us about this one, we'd we love few, to hear some so stories. They'll, they'll probably
2: okay. reach out to us.
1: Now, this one was super popular in Come the on, 80s. Come on,
2: governor. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. <laughs> this this line is super popular in the 80s, and it's actually going to uh, play a big part when we talk about the the, the production and development, but Star Wars I, I'm sure we're all. Oh, yeah. still oh, buying Star yeah. Wars action figures, right? Come
3: on, we we all had them. I, I just bought a uh, Lando. I think it was one of those blacks, the black series, the Lando in um the 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 getup he was wearing on Jabba's barge. Okay. that costume. So, uh, of
1: these cartoons from the '80s, or series, or action figures you just bought something from star Wars, Brad, what was the latest action figure you bought as an adult, as a grown ass adult man, what action figure have you recently bought from, from any of these series? Oh, from any of these series or, uh, from, for myself. Yeah. For yourself. I mean, I'm assuming every once in a while you just take a trip down the toy aisle or you're in a comic book store and you're like, wow, that looks really cool.
2: Yeah, I have. It will be Star Wars related for sure.
1: Okay. Lego Star Wars? I know that's a big Probably, deal. Probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I will say the classified line of G.I. Joe is amazing. Um,
3: <laughs> I've seen those. They are awesome.
1: They're fantastic. Right. So any anytime they put anything of my my favorite characters, um, I, I, I haven't picked up Shipwreck yet. He... he he was always the. <laughs> I don't know. He, he, I felt like he was in almost every cartoon episode, and he's probably right. The, he was.
3: Yeah, he's I one of the, the worst
1: GI Joes, but he was always my, one of my favorites because that damn parrot.
3: I think that when they first saw him in a cartoon, he was actually he was sailing a ship in the desert. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if let me enter. Jack, real quick with uh um there's one toy line that I have seen recently. Okay. It's based on the dungeon the Dungeons and Dragon cartoon from the 1980s. Yes. It, and I seen them at uh Toys R Us who in a department store. I think it was Macy's owns Toys R Us now. Mm-hmm. And they have a Toys R Us section in the stores. So sometimes I go and browse around there, and I just so happen to see the Dungeons and Dragons action figure for the cartoon, but they only had the Archer, the Barbarian, and the Acrobat. Okay. I didn't see any of the other figures. Tank, and Diana
1: was- and uh, was it Billy and Uni? Was they didn't those- have the unicorn. <laughs> well, he, the unicorn. I think if if it, yeah, Uni would come with the Barbarian. So
3: yeah, he you would think, but they just had the action figure by himself. They didn't have a, uh, and then you couldn't see like it was one of those boxes where you didn't actually see the figure it wasn't a blister pack so it was in the box so they showed you a picture of the action figure on the outside but you couldn't see inside the box but it didn't look like it was big enough to hold both the kid and the unicorn and the other thing i wanted to note is cops uh the um criminal oh organization God, of about police it. specialists yeah. uh with the cyborg police officers fighting cyborg criminals that was totally awesome. I, I didn't get any of those action figures either, but uh, I love those things.
1: Yeah. The um, the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. So War Duke, I still have the original War Duke because I was I was buying those action figures. And NECA is actually putting a series out, recreating the old D&D action figures from the 80s. And I can't remember the company that is putting out the ones that are based off of the cartoon series since they had the new D&D film. But it is cool to be an adult now and have some kind of source of income And know that there are companies out there who are trying to get it. Um, And they can have it all. I just don't have enough space for everything.
3: That is exactly right. I put that exact sentiment on. Like when I saw the Dungeons and Dragons figures, I took a picture of it, put it on Instagram. And I say, if I could buy everything I want, I couldn't because there's just not enough space where I live. (laughs) <laughs> to to hold all the figures, it's just and so now I'm just being teased. I know, <laughs> it's like going to a beef show.
1: <laughs> okay, enough of memory lane of our toy buying. Let's talk about this this week's film, 1987's Masters of the Universe. Brad, this thing just bombed, bombed, bombed when it came out.
2: Bombed, bombed, bombed. Yes, it did. So, so release.
1: Let's talk about that. Oh.
2: Yeah, released August 7th of 1987 with a reported budget of $22 million. The total box office run is $17 million. So it doesn't even even make its production budget back. Uh, Opening weekend, we are looking at $4.88 million. That is good enough for third place opening weekend. Listen to the top 10 here. We have The Living Daylights. Ooh, James Bond. (laughs) Yeah, Stakeout, Masters of the Universe, La Bamba, The Lost Boys, RoboCop, Summer School, Back to the Beach, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves re-release, and Who's That Girl? Wow. Okay. Not only is Masters of the Universe a financial bomb, but it's a critical failure. Failure might be a little harsh, but it sits at a 22% with the critics and a 41% with the audience. And that's with over 25,000 reviews.
1: Oh my goodness. I would have actually and thought the audience score would be a little be bit a higher. A little for higher. Yeah. yeah.
2: And films you could have seen August of 1987. We have the aforementioned stakeout back to the beach care bears adventures in wonderland. Who's that girl? Can't buy me love. Disorderlies. No way out. Oh, I
4: love disorderlies.
2: <laughs> yeah. The Big Easy. Born in East LA. Dirty dancing. Dirty dancing on its way to make $213 million. The Fourth Protocol. Hamburger Hill. House to the second story.
1: Oh, I love House to the second story.
2: <laughs> I do too. And that's it.
1: What do you have? We talked about how awesome it was to go to the movies in the 80s yet? I feel like. Every episode. We do
3: pretty much every week. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> uh, that list.
2: Sadly, four-year-old Brad was not attending any of these films or movies, but, you know, whatever. Okay. well, yeah, He would. He would in a few years.
1: Yeah. Let's let's talk about the people who made the film, both behind the camera and in front. We'll start with director Gary Goddard. So, has one film credit as a director. Of course, it's Masters of the Universe, right? From 1987. The stuff he worked on before, um, surprisingly, most of his directing credits are for videos and shorts, and they're usually tied to theme park amusements. Mm-hmm. So that's how he kind of got set up, and and was actually working on some stuff for Mattel at the same time, and pitched himself to be the director of this film, but sadly, only only one directing credit. The screenplay is done by Gary. He also,
2: t- he also tied his ship to one Brian Singer. So the less you can say about that, the better. True,
1: true. Now, he's he's going to have some uh, creative endeavors here in a minute. Um, when we talk about screenplay, he wrote part of the screenplay. We've got two other credits as well. Stephen Tolkien. Now, what's notable about Stephen is he did the screenplay for the failed Captain America from 1990. Um, directed by Albert Pune, which that name may come up a little bit later. And then David O'Dell, who also gets a screenplay credit, he's super interesting because leading up to this, he would work on stuff like The Dark Crystal in 82 and Supergirl, 1984, which I think is another film that may end up on the show at one point.
2: Bizarre movie. That
3: movie is bizarre.
1: It is so bizarre. Uh, Dude, one. I
3: think I remember somebody talking about that show this recently, and it, yeah, you are correct. It was... It was bizarre.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) I'm going to save my comments because we, we got to talk about that film at some point, Brad costume designer, Julie Weiss Oscar nominee for best costume design, 12 monkeys, 1995, and Frida 2002. So she's got a pretty extensive resume. I think her name's going to come up when we talk about this film as well, especially all the costumes. Uh, this is a Globus and Golan film, a Canon film. We've talked about these gentlemen before, but just a, a quick revisit. So in 1978, Globus and Golan moved to Hollywood and purchased the film production company, Canon, or the Canon Group, for 500000 So that's in 1978. By the mid-80s, Canon had produced an average of 40 films a year, <laughs> and it had become the largest independent production company in the world with over uh, $1 billion in net worth. It's
2: and crazy. all of them are amazing.
1: Yeah, so there is
2: there is something very nostalgic about seeing that Canon Group logo pop up when you put in a DVD or a Blu Ray or whatever, and it, it 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 kind of washes over you and it makes you feel good.
1: Yes, they earned the nickname the Go Go Boys, and uh, it, look, we'll talk about you know Canon Films and and just that as a genre, but. Even film critic Roger Ebert had said of Golden Globus in 1987, no other production organization in the world today, certainly not any of the seven Hollywood majors, has taken more chances with serious marginal films than canon. So, Zo, so I, I just got to ask you real quick. I, I'm, I know you're in the same camp as Brad and I. When we see that canon logo, uh, logo in front of a film, we get super excited and i know my favorite canon film of all time is probably enter the ninja 1981 i mean i, I love all the ninja films that they've done but do, do you have any favorite
3: canon films i i know the logo and i i there is a, a special place of nostalgia for me when i see the logo but i can't perform i can't think of any particular film they did did they wasn't that the terminator production company no. I, can't You're thinking remember Keral- was, Keralco, yeah, I think of a Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Keralco. 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 Yeah, Yeah. So, I do remember Canon, but I don't remember any particular films that was produced by them.
1: Okay, what about you, Brad? Do you have a favorite outside of Enter the Ninja because I know we both gave that a 10 well, on gentleman's guide. Yeah.
2: Revenge of the Ninja. Okay. Um
1: <laughs> I mean, True.
2: they did Break In. Don't really love Break In, but that's Okay. Okay, I have a uh, question.
1: Do you like rapping or breakin better?
3: I do like rapping. I like rapping.
1: I prefer rapping over breakin. I don't uh, know if
3: I've seen rapping, but I definitely seen breakin, and I've also seen breakin two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yes, which are great <laughs> films. I love those. Films. Well,
2: and then, of course they did a lot of the uh, Charles Bronson stuff too.
1: Yeah, all the Death Wish films. Well, <sighs> the the sequels, I should say.
2: Yeah, the sequels. Yeah. I'm going to mean revenge is a perfect film. So, okay.
1: Yeah. And, and he, look, they did everything. So we've already talked about enter the ninja in 81. Um, it's just a sample. Okay. Revenge of the ninja death wish 2 comedies like making the grade in 84, uh, got hooked up with Chuck Norris. We're doing like the missing, missing an action series, invasion, invasion USA, USA yeah.
2: um,
1: rapping runaway train, which is uh John Voight, an amazing film. Cobra in 86. So they started working with Sylvester Stallone, which is sort of a big deal. Uh, A little film called Superman for the quest for peace. Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned for that. (laughs) Uh, The last movie known as a Golan Globus production is Cyborg in 1989. That'll come up here in a minute, but I love Cyborg. Yeah. Cannon plowed on through the later part of the eighties with a continuous stream of films, but the financial blow from two movies specifically, Superman four and masters of the universe was far reaching and was the damage to the studio's reputation. And they really started going downhill to the point where they, they couldn't pay people, right? So unfortunately, Canon's model of drumming up cash through the pre-sale of films fell apart following its string of box office flops. And by 1988, the studio faced bankruptcy. The studio was purchased by Pate communications and Menachem. did I, did I say that right, Brian? Good job. Okay. Golan left shortly afterwards. So there's a couple of things um, if you really – and I encourage everybody to to seek out sort of the behind-the-scenes story about the Go-Go brothers. There's two documentaries you can watch. What's funny is they came out in the same year. They were competing against each other. The first is Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films, uh, which came out in 2014. And then the second one to watch is the Go-Go Boys, the inside story of Canon Films. It'll give you all of the juicy details – of these two guys and it. And it's crazy. They, I can't were distinguish insane.
2: between one or the other. Cause I've seen them both. I can't just by the titles only, but I think they're v- pretty good.
1: Yeah. The, the docs are good. I
2: would recommend both of them.
1: The The other thing I would recommend, which if you really like Canon films and I can't speak highly enough of this, there are two books out right now. I, I think he's working on a third, but it's called the Canon film guide. There's a volume one and a volume two and they're done by Austin Trunick. So, what he does is he will go through and talk about the film. He'll sort of review it, but give you tons of behind the scenes. And then he goes and interviews a couple of people associated with the film. So, he actually interviews the director for Masters of the Universe in Volume 2. There's a whole section on, on uh, Masters of the Universe in, in this, and it, it's quite fantastic. But if you love canon films, you have to watch those documentaries and you 100% have to go buy these books. They're huge. They're basically the definitive anything about canon films, and they're a fun read too. So let's talk about the cast real quick. The patron saint of not a bomb, Dolph Lundgren, stars in this. does. Um, so what what's your thoughts on Dolph? I mean, Brad and I have talked about, I don't know, I feel like we've talked about almost every Dolph Lundgren movie that's bombed, but where, where do you land on him?
3: I've always liked I've always liked Dolph. So I liked them in uh, in Rocky, obviously. He made the perfect foil for Rocky. Uh, And I liked him in Punisher 1989. I don't think it's the best Punisher film. I know you love that movie, but it's the best one. (laughs) I didn't (laughs) see my problem was (laughs) he was not wearing the skull on the T-shirt. And that just that would just that just bummed me out because without the skull, he kind of it looked like it could have been Remo Williams for all I knew. It could be anybody. And then, um, you know, a couple of other movies that he's been in. There's one that I hadn't seen that I really want to see is showdown in Tokyo. He did with, uh, Brandon <gasps> so Lee. So
1: good. so good.
3: And so he's, he's, he's always been fairly good in most of his movies. He's a joy to watch. He's, he's fun.
1: Okay. Yeah. And, and just to keep things in perspective, Dolph Lundgren comes into master's universe after Rocky four and before red scorpion in 1988. So this is kind of his big starring role. Uh, the other person that gets a lot of talk when you bring up Masters of the Universe is Franklin Jella as Skeletor. So, Oscar nominee for Best Actor in a Leading Role in 2008 for Frost Nixon. Uh, I know of him from 1979's Dracula. That's the first time I remember mm-hmm. ever kind of recognizing him.
2: As Count Dracula.
1: As Count Dracula. Uh, around this time period that he's doing so. Skeletor for for Franklin Jelly is really just an odd choice when you look at his filmography. Because even leading up to this, he did Men's Club in 86, Masters Universe in 87, and God created woman in 88. And the only reason why he did this film, he didn't even hesitate, is because his kids love the cartoon ah. and the toy series. <laughs> and and the story goes, uh, and and again, this is all in that canon film guide. Uh, he, he basically went to his kids for, Hey, what would Skeletor do in this situation? How would he act this way? So his, his kids ended up being his acting coach for this role. And he repeatedly says, this is like his favorite role of all time. Um, I'm going to speed through this real quick. We get Meg Foster as evil Lynn. We talked about her when we talked about uh blind, blind fury. fury yeah. yeah. I think people know. a
2: shotgun in the gut.
1: Yes. Uh, they lives the other big one. I think mm-hmm. people recognize yeah. her for one. Billy Barty as Guildor, 213 acting credits. Of all of those 213 acting credits, I will always know, just recognize him as Noodles from Weird Al Yankovic's uh, UHF in '89. UHF, yep, yep, yep. Uh, Courtney Cox, I guess that's a big name now, was not a big name back then. So I th- you're going to know her as Monica Geller from Friends, which ran from '94 to '2004 or Gail Weathers Weathers. from the Scream franchise uh, or the young woman dancing in the Bruce Springsteen video, Dancing in the Dark from 1984. So she's a few ways from from hitting stardom here. Robert Duncan McNeil is Kevin Corrigan. John Cypher is Duncan, a.k.a. Man at Arms. Chelsea Field is Tila, Woman at Arms. Here's an actress that I think if if you're a fan of '80s films in early '90s, you'll recognize her because she would pop up in things like Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, Last Boy Scout. Uh, most recently, she was in NCIS New Orleans from 2017 to 2021, so she's still acting. And then I thought this was interesting. So the the lady who plays the sorceress of Castle Creek Skull, Christina Pickles, do you guys recognize her? Now she has a re, she has a correlation with courtney cox do you do you know what that is
2: she's tommy pickles grandmother from the rugrats no tommy pickles no no i'm sorry
1: no wrong
3: <laughs> no i don't I, I don't know myself
1: she's judy geller in friends she's the mother of ross and monica in the tv uh, series see
2: i never oh. really watched Friends. i was more of a seinfeld guy so friends i watched is... them both
3: yeah yeah and i didn't watch friends that much either. I was more of a living singles
4: dude. oh <laughs> that's a good show okay <laughs>
1: Well, let's talk real quick production and development. So, Zoe, this is where I want to kind of turn it over to you. You, I think you have a little bit more knowledge than Brad and I on this toy line. So before the film, this actually was a toy franchise that debuted in 1982. And uh, Mattel released it as Masters of the Universe, which is a five and a half inch action figure toy line, which is a little unusual at that. So can you would give us a little bit more background about the
3: toys yeah so um my research comes from the first episode of a Netflix documentary series called the toys that made us Ooh, on yeah. Netflix oh that's so right. I rewatched the first episode they're, they're all fabulous you, if you love toys you gotta watch these shows so as you said they, they created the toy line in 1992 what happened was Mattel was like king of the girl toys they they have a girl toy department boy toy department and Girl Toys, they had, um, it was Mattel, they had Barbie. They were untouchable with the Barbie line, but they were getting their butts handed to them in um, the male toy department. It's like they kept coming up with different male toys and they weren't selling. The problem was that Kenner uh, dropped a bond on them with Star Wars and Star Wars was just beating all the other toy companies hand over foot. And what really made it worse is that Mattel actually rejected Lucasfilms when George Lucas approached them to make the Star Wars action figures Oh. They said no. And, and now those same action figures were beating them. So they was looking for toys. They was doing research. They actually did research on little boys, found out what little boys like. And they came across like the same thing that little boys would say was like they, they wanted to be in control. Like, um, why? Why am I telling you to do this? Because I told you to do this. This is what little boys would say to each other when they're playing, because all day long they go. They got their parents and they got uh, their teachers telling them what to do. Because, and they have to do these things because they're told to do it. So they wanted this. They wanted this power. And that was what the brainchild was. The, the toy makers had realized that little boys wanted this power. So they created. They wanted to create a toy line that reflect this. So that's when they came up with these large, extremely muscular action figures. What they found out was that they little boys responded very well to the barbarian paintings uh, that were painted by frank Frazetta. Frazetta, am i saying that right yeah frank Frazetta. thank you because i was i was thinking of my notes and i couldn't find it so yeah they love they love the frank Frazetta paintings the big huge muscly men the weapons the the barbarian look the the conan pictures and so they designed figures that were based on those paintings and at first they called them lords of power but the president mattel was like no lords of power is it's it's too he felt it was too related to religion, right? It was too religious sounding. Okay. So then they changed it to Masters of the Universe, and everybody hated it. The name was too long. It was, it was too one of them felt that it was too braggadocious, like masters of the whole universe. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. Hey, go so, bold or go home, right? Right. And they tried other toys, like they tried Battlestar Galactica, they tried, uh, I think they tried uh, um buck rogers action figures well i might be wrong i think that was Mako, but they they tried um different space space action figures and and no the kids just weren't interested so um that's when they finally happened upon he-man they made them larger they made them extremely muscular and um and when they put he-man on the scene one of the things they they went to the first uh toy retailer I, i forgot what their first toy retailer was called and um They said, yeah, we got these action figures. We want to sell you the big muscular figures. And the the toy retailer said, well, nobody knows about these characters. Why would they buy these characters? There's no story behind these characters. And then on the fly, one of the guys was like, well, we're going to put a comic book in each package, a mini comic in each package, and that would tell the story of these figures. And the toy retailer said, bet. And then it it was like, "Well, we think we're going to do 13 million dollars in the first year." And in the first year they end up selling 38 million dollars. <laughs> and then in the sec the second retailer they approach is Toys R Us. And um they said, "Yeah, we got this mini comic, we got these toys. They're selling they're going to sell a lot." And Toys R Us was like, uh, "Well, yeah, you got this comic, but if they're targeted to 5 years old, 5 years olds don't read." What what story going to a five year old is going to garner from this comic book, from this toy line? They need something. It's like Star Wars. There's a whole movie out, and it, some of these other properties they got, they got something going on. And the same guy that on the fly made up a comic book that they didn't have, he made up. Oh yeah, we're going to have two one hour cartoons that's going to play on television. It's going to explain the whole story. So. And so uh now they had to find a production company to produce these cartoons that he just made up on the fly to sell these toys to Toys R Us. So then in uh we're in negotiations with Filmation. Filmation said it'd be cheaper if he just do a whole series rather than do uh what you call it, the the two-hour movie. So that's what they opted for. And then um they they didn't think it was gonna be a hit, they thought it was just gonna be a for uh like a long commercial for toys before this you didn't have toys with cartoons the T-Man was pioneering this so when uh or Mattel I should say was pioneering this so they go and they look at the first I guess it was a daily or uh an anima- anim- animatrix anim- I forgot what you call it a preview of the cartoon and when they saw the preview it was like oh we got a hit we got a hit show <laughs> and then surely enough when uh when they Premiered the show. It, it was a it was a hit show. It was the story was different in the cartoon than in the comics that came with the action figures. So people graduated to the cartoon. So uh they're not asked for me with the mythology in the comics that came with the toy. In the comics that came with the toy, he was just like a wandering barbarian with uh what you call it? A wandering barbarian with no connection to prince adam he wasn't prince adam there was i don't know his relationship with the other characters um but it was more like like a conan the barbarian type figure just with blonde hair but in the cartoon it was a guy named prince adam he had a magic sword he became he-man he didn't have an axe like the toy had um he had his friend duncan his friend Tila, and he had a battle cat that he wrote so people love that cartoon and um and then they had Skeletor. It was it was off to the races out there. And then the sales kept growing and growing and people went about the downfall. And there are lots of theories that came about it. Oh, also, he, um, you probably remember She-Ra, the She-Ra cartoon. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: My daughter got fascinated so, with that at a certain age, which was kind of funny.
3: Right. So as He-Man was on the rise, the women from the girl department at Mattel was like, this is kind of messed up. We want our own toys. And dudes from the men's department, the boys' department was like, No, you don't get to have your own toys. But they the the girl department women got their way. And they made Shira as I guess a sister to He-Man. And she lived on a different planet. And and her toy was because the problem with He-Man, well, I don't know what's the problem. It was a situation with He-Man it was that 20% of the people or of the audience for He-Man were girls. Girls were buying He-Man toys. They were dressing up as He-Man figures and they were watching the He-Man cartoon show. So that was the big idea of creating something for the girls. So it continued to rise until like, I don't know, 1985 or 1986, something, somewhere around there. I can't remember the exact date, but uh, the sales started to fall off almost precipitously. It was like uh, almost a hundred million dollars in sales. And then it, it fell almost to zero, like to $7 million. And there were a lot of theories about this, but the main theory was that you had all of these like second rate and third rate He-Man figures. Like you had the, the Buzz, the the uh, the Bee He-Man figure, like Buzzsaw, whatever his name was. You had the, the Ant He-Man figure, the, the Bird He-Man figure. You you had all of these treachery He-Man figures, but you didn't have He-Man and Skeleton. Latour and Man-at-Arms and Tila, and Evelyn and all of the main He-Man figures that you saw on TV every single week. Like they never had a stink or episode on He-Man and yet there was a sneak or action figure. And that's and kids just lost interest because they couldn't find a free He-Man toy. And, and it basically fell out of favor. And as you mentioned, it kept coming back and then going away and then coming back. But none of them ever stuck the way the original 1980s cartoon has. So at this point in time, there are two He-Man cartoons, both on Netflix. One is geared toward adults and one is geared toward children. So I don't know if you've seen any of those, nope. but I love the one that was geared toward adults. <laughs> I tried to watch
2: Revel Revelation. Yeah. I, I tried to watch some of that. I-, I couldn't get into it.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's... It's interesting because, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It goes toy and then the TV show, um, comes a year after. So toys in 82, TV shows in 83 and it runs, um, up until 85. There were two seasons for 165 episodes. So it was just oh an extended God. commercial.
3: Yeah. And yeah, Eric
1: Daly. Yeah. And, and syndication and everything else. So. For a good part of the 80s, He-Man actually, from a revenue perspective, eclipsed Barbie, G.I. Joe, and Transformers, which were the big kids on the block. Uh, so it wasn't $100 million. At its height, it was it was actually making $400 million a year in 1986. And it went from $400 million in 86 to $7 million in 1987, 98% decline. Wow. So to your point, Zoe, it really came down to market oversaturation, and not being able to get the key figures at that point. And and store shelves were just sitting with the bumblebee guy, more or less.
3: Right, right, right.
1: So so what's interesting is while the sales
3: bumblebee guy, jeez,
1: yeah, while the sales are on a decline, there there
3: are He-Man action figures for every conceivable animal or, or concept. So there is like a He-Man action figure for like, I mentioned skunk or it's basically a man that's colored and shaped like a skunk. And, and the big gimmick for this action figure is that the, the figure itself actually stinks. Like you can actually make it <laughs> stink. I think it squirts something. And then there's a bumblebee shaped figure. It's a, it's a man shaped figure. I now looks like action a Bumblebee this figure. <laughs> yeah, action figure. There's, there's a man shaped action figure that has a giant claw. So he's supposed to be like a lobster. So yeah, just everything.
1: Yeah, so as, as sales are declining, they're making this film. Uh, and, and the intent was the film would kind of rescue the franchise and everybody would be right back into He-Man, right? So according to director Gary Goddard, Mattel actually had caused a lot of problems for the production crew for not paying their half of the budget on time because Mattel was suffering budget constraints the same time that the Canon Group was. So it got to the point where a member of the crew was forced to put a lens cap on the cameras during several days to prevent any more filming from taking place because they couldn't afford it, right? And on top of that, Mattel in the beginning was super controlling over the production because they didn't want He-Man killing anybody on screen or doing anything morally wrong. So no swearing, killing, et cetera. But as the sales are dipping... They're losing interest in the film, so Mattel sort of allowed Goddard to have a little bit more liberties with the character. That's why He-Man partakes in a little bit more violence, right? Now, this is uh, this is kind of crazy. At the time of filming, Dolph Lundgren had limited acting experience, spoke with a thick Swedish accent, and was not yet fluent in English. Director, You, Gary, don't,
2: you he, don't say. You right. don't
1: say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> director Gary Goddard had planned to have all of Lundgren's lines dubbed by another actor, However, Lundgren's contract stipulated that he would have at least three opportunities to redub his lines in post-production. With the filming behind schedule, Goddard decided to use Lundgren's natural voice instead. And this is my favorite fact of the film. So Mattel's in trouble. It, it went, you know, gazillion dollars to nothing. Uh, our go-go boys behind the scenes, I think they're doing a ton of drugs or cocaine or something and just spending all the money and so they run out of they run out of money they can't finish the film in fact the movie was supposed to end with just he-man and skeletor like clashing swords or whatever and the film ends and you don't know what happens and they're like well that's good enough we'll send it out there so goddard pleaded with them to just go look just a little bit more money and i think he even self-financed it to actually do the last sequence so due to the production running out of budget Goddard had to finance filming of the battle scene between He-Man and Skeletor himself. Only Lundgren and Langela were present along with the skeleton crew with the set's lighting made dark to emphasize the actor's presence, but everything else was stripped out. So at the end of the film, you've got this grand palace and uh, all these people in there and it transitions very quickly to two people like having an action choreography and then it goes back to the palace again. Well, that's because they ran out of film or ran out of money to do the filming. So this is all covered in the Canon film guide, volume two by, by Austin Trunick. So I can't encourage you enough to pick it up. So quick question. Why the movie bomb?
4: <clears throat>
3: because it was a bad movie. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Just word of mouth. you. You think it was purely word of mouth
3: critics? Um, I don't know if it. I don't know if it was word of mouth. I I, I would. I imagined because this film is supposed to be for kids because it's based off of a kids' property that was a both a toy and a cartoon. So I imagine kids going into the movie theater to see He Man and Man at Arms and Dela and Skeletor and you know some treachery characters like uh, Trap Jaw and uh, Many Faces and <laughs> some of these other characters that were not present in the film instead they got some lizard dude they got this dude with a sword and they got uh some and then beast man looked wrong and and all of these other things so the kids go to the, the film they see the film it doesn't look like anything that they recognize and they go tell their friends oh man there's it It don't have anything that you recognize this, this movie is doesn't look like the cartoon it doesn't look like the toy right so i i, I imagine it turned a lot of kids off
1: okay Brad are you just going into bad film and <laughs>
3: no I th- I think
2: anytime you
3: you basically make a
2: f- a film to be like a marketing ploy to keep something afloat that's a bad idea mean, no offense to Dolph Lundgren I mean we love him here he's not the biggest name in the world you put Arnold Schwarzenegger in this role as he-man and he's basically playing Cronin the Barbarian but he's he-man it's a totally different film now the budget is way bigger but like I think Dolph's not the biggest name. And I mean, I, I, I you got a property that's declining. You have a, a, a film with a, an actor who's not there yet. He's almost there. Um, and you're basically putting this thing out to save a, a, a like a fledgling property. And I think all that is a bad mixture.
1: Yeah, I'll say this. What's unique about 1987 is Canon was pretty much tapping into a Hollywood business model that wasn't ready yet, in my opinion. Because if if you think about it today, especially with Disney or something of that nature, the, hey, we're going to release a film to coincide with the TV show, to coincide with the action figure and have everything sort of gel. And even in some cases, use your movie platform to kind of boost the sales of something else. This is, this is the film that feels like it kind of started it all after Star Wars. Star Wars, I mean, brought commerce and art together in just this beautiful... <laughs> here's the film. It's designed for kids. They're eating it up. And oh, by the way, here's the action figures based on the film. And Star Wars first and foremost was a story... But Lucas was smart enough to say, I've got these characters and everything within the story I can make action figures off of. This is sort of an inverted model where it's like, we got these action figures that are really cool. So let's make a movie off of it in a TV show, etc. But that cross pollination between action figure, TV show film, they, it really feels like um, they, they were, they were going for it, but it just wasn't ready to take off yet. Uh, and, Maybe if they had the internet as we have it today, it would have been more successful. I have to imagine that the embattled the embattled like toy line really crushed any chances for this film to be successful.
2: Yeah, and you got classic interference know. from like an outside source, right? Mattel. Yeah. Trying to, you know, weasel their way into make decisions on things that weren't weren't originally in the script and He-Man couldn't do certain things. So, so once you're starting to like hinder what the movie can do that's
3: you know not the best well the reason that they uh they imposed on like he-man not killing for example i don't know all the things that they imposed on but they were like uh they didn't want he-man to like kill anyone because he didn't do it in the cartoon like when you see he-man he know you know he never actually stabs someone with his sword he doesn't cut them with the sword he uses the sword to deflect laser bolts like in Star Wars or to clash with somebody else's sword, but never do that. Um, he never actually punches anybody. He might punch monsters, but not the, not another human person. So the most things you see He-Man do in the cartoon is he'll throw a boulder at something or someone, or he'll throw uh, or he'll like uh he'll grapple with someone. So he might grab somebody and throw them somewhere. So that is the the type of violence or the level of violence that Mattel may have been looking for it in the movie. I think they wanted the movie to reflect or inform the cartoon and and the toy line. Because remember in the cartoon, after they did the cartoon adventure, they had the the moral of the day at the end of the cartoon. Like in G.I. Joe, it was uh Knowing is half the battle. And now you know and knowing <laughs> was half the battle, oh, yeah. right? They had that. So in in um in Masters of the Universe, they had a similar thing where they had, like, a moral. Orko. Like this Orko would always give it, right? The little... No, it was, it was a different character. Sometimes Orko, sometimes E-Man, sometimes even Skeletor. Oh. And remember, kids, it's not good to steal. <laughs>
4: That's
3: a good Skeletor. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, um... But that that really wasn't reflected in the film. And I wouldn't expect that to be in a film. But what I would expect is a good story and a good script. And I think a good story and a good script can save or revive anything. But I think back in that time, and we saw the same thing in Transformers, the movie, the animated one. It it was like they were more concerned with toy sales than they were concerned with the story. And that's where He-Man suffered.
1: Well, the, the thing that saved the Transformers animated film was the soundtrack. It was amazing. So,
3: yeah, I mean, but they, I mean, <laughs> they cared enough about like the movie itself, like the, the story of the movie that uh, it wasn't totally ruined by the things that the studio had insisted upon. Right. So, they, they, there was enough of a good quality of story that, uh, and I don't know if Transformers. Transformers went in declining. I think the main impetus of the movie was that so uh was so that Hasbro could sell different toys. Like mm-hmm. they wanted to switch over to different Transformers. They didn't want to sell the same Transformers. I guess because uh th- maybe the classic Transformers were declining in sales. So they wanted to refresh the line and get more kids buying. So they thought the best way of doing that was to put this movie out and change the story. But it didn't it didn't go like they thought it was gonna go. <laughs> And so the same thing with He-Man, they care more about rescuing the franchise instead of worrying about what it would take, like the type of story that could be told in order to rescue the franchise. They didn't care about the music necessarily in this movie. It's not memorable. They didn't have a they didn't include like a soundtrack with some cool music. They the actors, uh even the actors in the movie didn't look like they were really all that cared all that much about acting that much, right? <laughs> and Dolph Lundgren's, inexperience really showed. I, I think that I think I told somebody because I was ranting about this movie uh, ever since I watched it yesterday, that uh, it was like like maybe three or four people who are actually acting in this movie and everybody else was just, you know, collecting. Oh, you're, you're getting
1: ahead, Zoe. You're getting ahead. All right. So My bad. it's time.
4: We're going to take a quick break.
1: We think we know where Zoe's going to land on this, but um, this could be a very good interesting conversation if not debate but uh what we'll take a quick break when we come back we're going to get into the quality of the film version of master's universe master's universe so so stay tuned
4: when it's time, to take time out for some choose the coolest drink that's ever come to town Dr. Pepper is the friendly Pepper-Upper, and it never, never, ever lets you down. When the party needs a friendly Pepper-Upper, Dr. Pepper is the drink to pass around. Dr. Pepper is the friendly Pepper-Upper, and it never, never, ever lets you down and have a frosty dr pepper dr pepper is the coolest drink in town dr pepper is the friendly pepper upper and it never never ever lets you down regular or kingside rusty man for rusty this toy comes with something that can really open up a kid's imagination its own legend
1: he-man skeletor is his enemy
4: it's the masters of the universe collection and for my kids the legend begins here with castle grayskull it holds the powers of the universe he-man skeletor has captured castle grayskull we must stop his evil power to grayskull If he he-Man's forces, but leave him to lead. Here I am, Skeletor. He-Man! Skeletor is getting away! But Castle Grey Skull is safe with
0: us! Nothing safe while Skeletor is out there.
4: And so the legend continues in this Masters of the Universe collection. And in the imagination of my kids. Look for it, it's new from Mattel. Bye.
1: We're back Zo you were about ready to go on a rant so we're, we're gonna turn it over to you I'm gonna guess just based
3: on some some statements you made already you're not a big fan of this film is is that an accurate statement I, I would say that the the quality of this film is of subpar quality it would, does not meet the standard of good film making if I may so okay okay that, that's fair uh, yeah, I was that's fair. Yeah, I was told totally around. So it it you basically told me something because and a lot of the later Dolph Lundgren films, I thought I think he's a fairly good actor in his later movies. But in this film, I was like, Man, what's up with Dolph? It's like he's never acted before in his life. <laughs> and and I was like, Oh, it's only his his second film. And he no, it's in his third world, film. So.
1: He he did a view to a kill. Grace Jones got him to do the bit part um for a villain in a view to a kill, the Roger Moore James Bond film. Right, right. Then he okay. lands Rocky Four. So this is this is his third, but it's his first starring right, role. Right.
3: This is his first starring role. Yeah. And it's like still not not a lot of experience. I, d- I also didn't know that he wasn't, he didn't, uh his his English wasn't straight yet. He wasn't fluent. And I didn't know he sounded really good in the movie. I like his English was straight, but his inflections were wrong. And and I thought it was weird. It, he had some weird inflections sometimes when he spoke. And his face was basically emotionless. It was um it was like he, he he wasn't sure how to emote. And most of the time he didn't emote at all. And that was a problem for me. Even when I watched it like way back when it first came out, you're dealing with a very disappointed teenager. When I saw this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, were, you, were you really um, hyped up about it when this came out? Like oh, you were yeah. super excited? Well, I saw okay. the trailer. I was like, oh, man, they, they're going to have a... Because I was still a master of the universe fan, I was still watching the cartoons. I thought it was going to be awesome. I thought, like, I first saw when it uh, the marketing material that I first saw was in the comics, and I was like, I don't know if I was conscious. I must have known about Dolph Lundgren because I I did see Rocky Four, so I was like, wow, he looks good as he man. I didn't appreciate that he had longer hair, and I didn't appreciate the the costume changes that he had because it's like it's distinctly different from. It's similar but different from what what uh, you see in a cartoon, and I think at the time. I felt like it needed to be exactly like it looked when the cartoon, <laughs> like every little thing had to be exactly right, and it wasn't in like the posters and whatnot. But um, I, I don't think I was mature enough to accept that. You know, they can make some changes. Okay. So when I saw the film, it was like, uh So as I mentioned, like his acting w- wasn't there yet, and then uh, everybody else it, like when I watched the film last night, it, it felt like they were just they, they. I think they're they're telling part of their acting is probably not their acting so much as the special effects is that whenever they a- activated the key and the key would have this light show above the key and the actress is supposed to be looking at these lights. Now the lights are obviously not there. It's obviously fest- special effects, but they don't look like they're looking at the lights. They look like they're just staring off in different directions, not staring directly at the lights. And it kind of ruined the, uh, the, it kind of it ruined the immersion for me because I could tell that they didn't know where the lights were supposed to be at, and they were just kind of looking, staring off in in uh, into some mysterious area that the director told them. Just it's like the director just told them, just look up, just look up above the thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're gonna put some lights there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, I, um, I,
1: I have to. I just got to ask a question real quick. What's your take on on on? Do you, Do you come? to be this critical on something called Masters of the Universe. I mean, do you take <laughs> it with a critical eye?
3: Um, not initially. Like I look for stuff. Like even when I did this rewatch, I look for stuff that I could like about the movie cuz I'm all I'm curious cuz I hadn't seen it since I first seen it, I don't know, 30 years ago. Oh, okay. So, I'm looking at it as like yeah, it's it's been a while. So, and I've avoided it because I didn't like it back then. I was way more critical about movies um that like we're based on previous properties. Like, so if you're going to do uh, an adaptation to a movie from a comic, then it has to look exactly like the comic, or else I'm not going to like it. It's like if you had a, a Spider-Man movie and he was wearing green instead of wearing red and blue or red and black, then I wasn't going to like it. It was it was just going to be a bad movie to me. So, um, and Masters of the Universe was one of those kind of movies. Like it, it even today that that I appreciate more the costume changes that that they have now than I did back then. So now I appreciate the cape that He-Man had and that his more sophisticated like vest or whatever he was wearing, his harness thing. It, it looked fine. It was like, I, I can rock with that. And then um, I noticed that Man-at-Arms costume, it was a very good facsimile of what the toy and what the cartoon looked like. It was like, it, it was actually pretty faithful. It just was a, a little bit different color. And it had the helm in it, and the helm was neat. And I was kind of bothered that they never actually called him Duncan. He's introduced by He Man as Man at Arms. Like, why would you do that? He has a name, and then <laughs> and then uh, the Teela's costume. That's when it started to bother me. Didn't like. Uh, it's like they. It was drab. It was like they gave up. It's like they weren't even going to try. Sorcerer's costume was. They didn't even want to do it. It's like I felt like the costume designers. Like I'm here. I want to do this. I want to do the. Co- I don't want to look at the source material. So is, I have an artistic vision. Is, <laughs> is that
1: your feeling of it watching it last night? Or are you talking about like your initial? I mean, ha- do you still feel that way when you watch
3: the film? As some of the costumes, yeah. Like there, there was no need to change the sorcerer's costume. There was no need to change like uh, Man. He could have been more accurate. It, it felt like. And then like the costume was kind of wrong. Like Because you could see like, especially for um, the short uh, character uh the the magical character that made mm-hmm. the key uh, and his you could tell sometimes that his lips well actually for a lot of the characters but especially him that his lips didn't match up with, with his words because the, the the rubber didn't um that the prosthetic wasn't like really firmly affixed to his lips so you could see that it was like <laughs> it was just like jiggling around when the words were coming out of his mouth so they didn't really, it was like watching a Chinese flick where it that was being dubbed. Oh, overdubbed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we got acting. And, uh, we got costumes. Um, uh, script, because some the words were bad. Uh <laughs> the only person that I really like was Frank Langala. It is I loved his scale a costume. I loved his acting. He was really into it. He was one of the people that was really acting. Um, the woman that played Evil Lynn, let me look up her name. Um uh, uh what's the Yeah, now? I can't remember, but Evil Lynn, meg foster she was yep. she was really doing it she was chewing up the scene it was like she she was acting with her expressions she did an excellent job and um uh, but everybody else says sometimes they were acting sometimes they weren't you had the the police guy um james tolkien he's a character actor you remember him from back to the future he played mm-hmm. the principal he's always playing Top that he's singer. character yeah Right, just an a dude in authority, and there were times when his acting was authentic, and then there were times when I felt that he was overacting just a little bit. And um, yeah, that was a uh, like I, I had complaints. Like, what are they doing on Earth? This what well, we're supposed to be on Eternia? Like, what? It's called where are all my favorite? Where are all my favorite He Man figures at? Babe. Where's Ram Man? Who's this lizard dude? I don't care about this lizard <laughs> dude. <laughs> Where's Trap Trapjaw Trap was the dude that I rock with. Who is this? Uh, this this dude this dude with swords i don't i don't like him i don't know him you could get you could get the figures that i played with to be in this movie and you failed to do that and that that annoyed me from the first time i watched this movie (laughs) so and it still annoys you then yeah no yeah that's still annoys like i'm 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 I don't know. Well, how old was I in 1987? Probably uh 16 or 17 years old. So you see He-Man's Master Universe, and you be you go to your friends, you're like, Man, they didn't even have trap jaw in there. Man, they didn't even have many faces in there. Okay. <laughs> All the costumes were dull and dark. Man, they went to Earth for some reason. It doesn't make any sense for them to go to Earth. <laughs> it's supposed to be on Eternia. journey. And then the the most grievous thing that they did was that he didn't. There was no Prince Adam. It, Prince Adam didn't transform He Man. He didn't do the thing that to do in every single episode of He Man and the Masters of the Universe. Every single episode, he whips out a sword. He says a magic word. He transformed the He Man. He sends the energy to Cringer, transforms Cringer into Battle Cat. He rides a tiger that's colored green with yellow stripes and has armor on. They didn't have any of that in the movie i know i'm yelling and i'm ranting and the, it's just that the best part of the car of the cartoon was not present in a movie and if they're going to make uh a cartoon this fantastical and they don't have the budget for it then they shouldn't have tried okay and uh yeah that's a lot
1: i'm okay oh, also clearly, also, clearly when, you're, you did not have any fun watching this film
3: Yeah, I was I was angry. I was angry watching it the whole time. Also, uh, Dolph Lundgren, when he did say he said half of the magic phrase, not the whole magic phrase, half of the magic phrase. And his inflection was wrong. And that annoyed me, too, (laughs) because it's like like you're messing with my childhood here. Why? Why? If you're not going to say the line right, don't say it at all. Right.
1: (laughs) So is it is it fair to say when other artists come in to take a property? and put their, uh, I don't know, style or, or artistic impression of it on there, you're not gonna be a fan of that if it's something that was beholden to you within your childhood and they deviate too far from the template, from the original template.
3: Well, here's the thing. They are allowed to have some artistic input. It's okay. But the farther you go away from the visual style, from the source material, the better the story had better be. That story had better be an A one story. It, it had better be a spot on. It might be a totally different story. You might be able to consider it a story from another universe. But it might it, it had better be an awesome story because it, it, if you don't bring that story with it, if the if the costumes are poor and then the story is poor and then the script is poor, then then you're like it's like you're. It's like you're disrespecting me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, Uh, like, for example, like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I I don't want to go on too much. Guardians of the Galaxy, a lot of people complain that um, the main villain, um, the High Evolutionary, his costume is not like the costume in the comic book. But that's like a minor... um, and, And there are a lot of things that were different than people might expect from the comic book version of the High Evolutionary. But... The story was so strong that the those minor artistic changes, it pales in comparison to the story that you got uh, or the feeling that the story gave you when you watched the movie or after you left the theater. It was it, so changes are fine, but the story has got to be great. OK,
1: well, Brad, I you have to follow that up.
3: Um, this yeah, is your okay. pick.
1: So what where do you <clears throat> land on this thing?
2: yeah so I I guess I had forgotten that this was basically Matt Matt painting the movie. um there's a lot <laughs> of Matt paintings <laughs> in this film and there are I kind of I kind of love it for that reason like just the nostalgia of seeing Matt paintings. um I really love the way this opens like I, I think everything that's not on earth is pretty solid. It's a bold choice to go to the quote unquote real world. And introduce Courtney Cox and her boyfriend and uh, the police guy who's trying to put everyone in, in uh, detention because he's the guy from uh, Back to the Future. I, uh, I don't know. I struggled with this because at every turn when you're watching this, you're like, oh, they did that in Star Wars. But they did better. Oh, they did that in Star Wars, but they did it better. It's trying to take so much stuff. From Star Wars, which is a very, very tough thing to do and do it basically with a fraction of the budget. Um, When Skeletor comes into the real world on that ship, I mean, it's pretty embarrassing, but it's kind of fun. I, I think as bad as it is, I really have a a good time watching it because it's really, really bad. I mean, they're floating on disc. They're doing, um, like all this crazy stuff. They put a collar on a guy to make him tell the truth. He-Man never uses his sword. Hardly. He's shooting people with a gun. And I, in my limited knowledge of He-Man, I I know that he predominantly uses a sword and, and not a gun, but in this film, we're, we're shooting with a laser gun. Um, but it all comes down to one thing and it's Frank Langella and his performance is one of the greatest things I've ever seen <laughs> on the uh, screen as a bad guy. Cause he is going for it, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but he's going for it and it is amazing. And I think just to see his performance, especially in the first bit and then the last bit when he's like all gold and stuff, it's, pretty insane and it's pretty dumb but the fact that you have this guy just going for it um because Lundgren is really limited in this like you could see his limitations pretty evident on the screen like he is not comfortable with the English language and he's trying to figure that out and swing a big sword and the choreography's not great like they're trying to go for like lightsaber stuff but it's never anywhere close to that. Um, like they're, they're alluding to like the end of return of the Jedi, by like throwing Skeletor down this big thing. And you're like, this is not what you want to do. You don't want me to think about Star Wars right now. Um, <laughs> but again, I think it's really dumb, but I kind of like it a lot. Like I maybe like it a lot as a, as a stretch. I think it's, one of those categories of films where it's really so bad. It's good. Like it, it's kind of coming to that territory for me.
1: So you, I, I, and that that's a, that's a different take. It's, it sounds like you're agreeing with all of the quality comments that Zoe brings up, but you're saying because it crosses that threshold and, and pretty much says, well, here, here's the line. I'm going to pull vault right over it and go into the terrible territory that it ends up. It kind of comes back around. It yeah. comes back around to be entertaining. And and Zo you, you you can't find that entertainment in there i'm guessing
3: well here's here's something um if the fight choreography was better then maybe maybe i could see, maybe it'd be so bad as good cuz like when you look, when i think about a film that's so bad as good there's got to be something in there that's exceptional like uh yeah, Frank the soundtrack Langella.
2: that's that's what Frank Langelo is
3: yeah for. he's great but he can't do it by himself so like Transformers the movie, uh, it probably bombed at the box office, but the animation itself, like the quality of the animation, was great, and the soundtrack was stellar. Or, uh, it, if there had more, like we talked about the costume changes. So, I loved Franklin Geller's took costume. It was actually great. It was like one of the best costumes in the movie. I really, I rock with that. A, a change like that is wholly acceptable and then combined with his acting ability even acting through all of that makeup even like the 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 makeup on his face with the the prosthetics on his face it was just good it was that was good stuff but it wasn't enough of that in he-man and i felt like if they had better fight choreography be better dialogue at least give me great dialogue you couldn't even give me some dialogue (laughs) but
1: but that goes against what brad's saying brad brad's (laughs) thesis here is if you had better fight choreography that would detract from the awfulness of it if you if you had a better script or dialogue that would detract from the awfulness of it i i think and brad just trying to interpret here your your thesis is the quality that even Frank brings to the table, he's he's probably doing you know Shakespeare, in yes. in a scenario that has no reason to do Shakespeare. Which, as good as that performance is, probably turns it into an, a terrible performance because it's like, why are you doing Shakespeare in Masters of the Universe? But that it doesn't fit, and that's what makes it so great. So, that that's the thing I'm I'm trying to figure out is like, you sound super invested in this franchise, <clears throat> and super invested on the detail. And here comes a a film that yeah. Just, I could
2: ca- I could care less about. I'm not the exact opposite of Zoe. I could care less about the source material.
1: Okay, well, I mean, if somebody had done this to, to Star Wars, Brad, would you? Oh, I would riot. You would riot. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's dependent. Yeah, that was it's the dependent other thing. Dependent on, on the source material. Yeah. Like if it if it's beloved, you. So for me, if if, if they if they remade uh, Big Trouble in Little China or. The Last Dragon, like stuff from, from my favorites from the 80s, I, I I think I would feel the same way. And you're basically saying they do they do this treatment to Star Wars, you riot, and Zoe, you are rioting right now because of what they did with Masters, right?
3: Right, right, right. All I'm saying is that there had to be something else beside, it. not just Frank McGill, not all of it. Like you could have like bad dialogue, but, um, good action sequences or you could have like maybe subpar action sequences but great funny dialogue like there were points in this movie where the short alien dude was trying to be funny or there were scenes that were supposed to be funny that kind of fell flat for me because it, it it's like you i knew what they were trying to do but there's something that was missing in the ingredients or something Missing in the script or the dialogue where it didn't work like when he falls into the water and he squeezes his nose and water comes out of his gills i know that was supposed to be funny but it it, it just wasn't funny to me because it wasn't is there was something else that should have been there like the, some, that should have elevated it to something that was truly laughed out loud so if it was there had to be an element it didn't have to be the entire all, all of the things that i listed it didn't have to be because then if i if it was every thing, then it would be a great movie. But if it was one extra element besides Frank McGilley that could have um elevated this film, then it, it would be at least in my opinion, so bad as good. But right now it's it just and you know all that and it not being faithful to <laughs> what I grew up with. Yeah, it was it was kind of bad.
1: Uh okay. So <laughs> uh, no that that's fair. Totally fair. I, I guess all right. Uh, my take on it. Um, who, whoever uh, <laughs> clearly these folks had never seen the television show or probably picked up a He-Man action figure, uh, but they decided to make a film with these characters in this story. Right. And so th- they take these characters in this story and they decide to make a film with these characters going to earth, talking to cows, stealing chicken and ribs from some diner and driving around in a pink Cadillac for most of the film. It's, it's bonkers. It's insane. And I will, I will be totally honest. I've, I've never seen a movie so disconnected from the source material. And I agree. uh, I think with both of you that the film is kind of insane when it comes to filmmaking choices. So just editing (laughs) script, uh, where to put the camera? I mean, you name it. Film one hundred and one. It, it it's lacking here. Um, when I watch this, I feel like I'm watching some Enzo Castellari post apocalyptic film. And I I really I would not have been surprised if Henry Silva popped out as Orko, the little wizard from the cartoons. As a matter of fact, <laughs> if Henry Silva had popped out as Orca. I would say that this is the greatest um, what the F film of the 80s. It, it is 100% incredibly entertaining. So so here's the thing. You, you can take all those things and say that it doesn't go to the source material. It doesn't do this. I mean, it doesn't do any of it. It, it doesn't do anything to the action figures. It doesn't do anything to even try and replicate outside of take story beats and, and kind of steal it and then just make a cohesive, get from point A to point B, and then do something, then get from point B to point C. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? And then have a good guy and bad guy. But it is 100% um, a clone of an Italian post-apocalyptic film directed by Enzo Castellari. I mean, it's it would definitely fit within that genre. And I love those films. I mean, they made ripoffs of escape from New York, all the Mad Max films. And they basically just took a bunch of like has been actors, directors, a couple of old cars and put them in the middle of the desert and then just filmed it. But, but I also like trauma films to a certain degree. Brad hates them. Yeah. But you know, I got, I got to say this thing is wacky and that's what makes it so fun. I don't know how you can be upset at this film. So I just to me, I would, I would think that because it's devoid of everything from the source material that you could divorce yourself from that and just go, all right, I'm along for the ride. Let, let's see what's going on here.
2: It's basically masters of the universe by name only.
1: Absolutely. Like it has more in common with maybe your hunter from the future with red Brown. Maybe as a matter of fact, after cause Cameron and I watched this in, Lo and behold, we were having a blast watching it. He loved it, but as soon as it was over, I'm like, "Man, I want to go watch that your film with Red Brown." Because <laughs> oh yeah, I, it just gave me that feeling, and that's not a bad feeling at all.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, I can't see that. <laughs> but <laughs> like you know, it's all this is all subjective, right? So um, it just like if it wasn't entertaining for me, simply because there there was, I always felt like there was an element that was missing. So for me the main element for something that's so good that it's was so bad that it's good is that um as i said like one one of the main elements like the the either the story or the script or the fight choreography like most of the movies that that are bad but so bad as good are the action movies where the action sequences completely outshine anything in the story or anything in the dialogue oh see right? i so, i this is I, I,
1: you, you just no
3: i dis, just i disagree 100 percent. right well yeah well yeah i'm just saying from from my from my perspective so if it's something where i'm watching something and i didn't like the story but the action was really good especially if it's uh if it's some martial arts uh and you know and it's really good martial arts choreography then i was like yeah so bad. It's good that, or if it's something where it's all bad, but it's really funny, either unintentionally funny or if it's something that they put in the script. Yeah. See, this, I, this is
1: where I'll, this is where I'll disagree because I'll, I'll use Cynthia Rothrock movies for an example. I, she has really good choreography. I mean, the one thing that she does, even in her American stuff, there's good choreography and I wouldn't call them so bad. They're good films. Cynthia Rothrock makes halfway decent, like direct to video action films, a couple of theatrical stuff. Her Hong Kong stuff's amazing, um, but you can nitpick them all to death. But I don't think you can nitpick the choreography and a couple of them, like you know, even writing wrongs with Yuan Biao. It's amazing; has a great story to it. But there, there has to be there has to be incompetency across all levels, in my opinion, right, in right, order right. for it to go onto this mantle of it's so amazingly bad it's good. So, yep. in in order to make that turn. You're either you're either so bad you're bad, which is usually a boring film, um, or if you're like, well, you're not a great film, but you have these things that are great to it. Okay, then you're you're pretty much an average film, in my opinion. In order to just get everything so wrong that people will then come back and go, my god, that was entertaining as hell. You can't have anything right. And and as good as as Frank is in this film, as good as Skeletor is, he. I think he probably brings the Skeletor cartoon character to life and brings it over outside of the crazy high-pitched voice. He hits everything else, but it doesn't belong in this film, and that makes it so terrible. That's like a terrible choice to have Frank in here. He's too good for this film, which, again, brings it all back around. There are sequences in action here where all you see is a mullet, a flash of a sword, like a bicep, then a laser, and then somebody falls over. and You don't know what happened.
2: Yeah, it's the, it's the the thin line between so bad. It's good and bad is paper thin.
1: Yes, paper thin. But I think a principle of it is to what you're talking about, Zoe, is you're saying it has to have an element of a story or action choreography or something of that nature in order to fit that where where I would fall on my sword on this one is um, it can't have any of that. Like every choice has to be terrible. And I, I think that this film has that, 100%.
3: I mean, definitely every choice was terrible, but it wasn't so terrible that I found any of those choices amusing. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and it's like, I get your point when you're talking about, like, it could be another movie. Like, it could be, like, it's, in, it's titled "Masters of the Universe in name only. So you can imagine it being, like, a, in a different reality or a different universe and say that, you know... and. and there are some circumstances where I could probably accept it as such, but you know, I'm I'm like 15 years old, 16 years old. I'm playing with toys and I'm watching a cartoon. So when I go through the theater, I want to see a live action version of the cartoon. So I don't want to see a French impressionistic film. I want to see cartoon. That uh, oh, that gee, I was messing I, don't with. Don't get me wrong. I just a I, days I, ago. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be films that you
1: walk in and your expectations are like that is not what I wanted. But then when you go back and revisit it and understand what it is, you go kind of have a new appreciation for
3: it. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there are lots. There are lots of films like that 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 I've watched or a film that uh, I didn't like, and then uh, or now I won't say that a film that I totally dislike because I really rewatch films that I completely dislike, but a film that. I wasn't, uh, that I didn't have a super high opinion of, and I go watch it again, and I was like, oh, it's it's better than I remember, right? So th- there are shows and uh, TV shows and movies like that, because I've matured, and I, I can see, like, for even in this film, for example, I, I mentioned that uh, when I was younger, I totally disregarded He-Man's costume, and I didn't, I don't think I even liked Skeletor's costume all that much, but now... Um, now that I've matured and I've seen a lot of movies and a lot of adaptations. I've seen how, oh yeah, the that was a great choice for he Man's costume No, it actually it's good. And Skeletor's costume is like my favorite costume in the movie. They are great. And then but then there are other elements like these stormtroopers that they have in the movie. And it's like, well. This doesn't work for me.
1: <laughs> no, they they do. They are knockoffs um, of stormtroopers. Right, right, right. It, it very right, much looks uh, like the uh, the kind of Dollar Tree stormtroopers that would come in a box yes, called Space yes. Wizards or Star right, World. Right, right, yeah. Which again,
2: it, it comes in a pack. that's called like Galaxy Battle.
1: Galaxy Battle. <laughs> yeah. I think I bought a Galaxy Battle set at one point. Yeah, and they, right, right. They can't hit anything either, just like the typical stormtroopers. Uh, but right. it, again, that's what makes it so fantastic, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know about you, Brad. I, I've got a list of just, these are just wacky things that I appreciate. I, I don't know if you have that saying. Uh, no,
2: go ahead, please. I'd like to hear these.
1: Okay, so Dolph Lundgren's acting. Um, you can tell he was struggling with the language, but you can also tell he was struggling with the concept of acting. And I actually think that performance is, is so terrible. It's, it's charming. Um, because he has no clue what he's doing.
2: Yeah. It's, it's weird to see an actor struggle on straight, like struggle.
1: Yeah. He's struggling like, to go. I, I mean, you can tell, you can see the wheels turning in his head where he's like, okay, I got to hit my mark. So there's probably a little X somewhere on the floor that he's paying attention to, but he has to deliver a line. And then he has to make sure he doesn't like get hit by the environment or something of that nature, especially if there's choreography going on and not trip over his Cape and not trip over his Cape and wield whatever this big steel sword is. And he is struggling every second of the, and it's amazing. It's amazing to watch Um, the costumes. I I think you've talked about this a little bit. Zo. I think they go from pretty amazing to just pretty terrible. And it's that hodgepodge of costumes that I, that I really enjoy in the cool category We already talked about Skeletor. Would would we all agree that's a pretty amazing interpretation of that character? Yep. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, I like He-Man and Evil-Lyn. I like what they did with those costumes. Uh, You don't like the lizard dude that kind of looks like something from the Flash Gordon movie. I do. I like the fact that his
3: neck um, kept coming out. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, that's a cute little trick, but he, he didn't really do anything in the movie, and he certainly didn't do anything for me.
1: <laughs> got electrocuted from the yeah. Emperor Palpatine yeah. thing. Um, uh, in, yeah, in the wacky category, costumes, um, Duncan Man well, at T- Arms, oh.
2: Tila, Tila. They just like there's a shot where it's just like, okay, now we're just gonna put this camera right in her butthole.
1: Oh, they do. That. Little yeah, little yeah, that's little, right.
4: He's like, okay, here we go.
3: Yep.
1: But but her, I mean. Duncan, man at arms, he does look like he borrowed costumes from an Italian post-apocalyptic film. Him and Tila both. They they just look like they found computer parts and you know glued them onto spandex. Yeah. Uh G- <laughs> Gwildor Karg and the Beast Man look like guys in rubber prosthetics. It looks terrible and it's awesome at the same time. The, the Air Centurions. <laughs> Holy cow. Talk about putting special in special effects. Uh, that entire sequence is just mind-numbingly terrible. It reminds me of the sequence of the flying boards with the the swords in Highlander 2, the quickening from 1991. Yep. Just like that. And that was terrible too. But you get flying skateboards and swords. And uh, it comes out of nowhere. But it's it's just amazing. You're just watching that and like, well, that was a very bad choice especially in the special effects department. Uh, And it's, and it's a blast to watch Um, measurements in this. I don't understand any of the measurements. I don't know what the heck a chroma is uh, or a preton, but there's a
2: lot of glee language in this.
1: Oh, it's amazing. And it, it's, it's amazing that they, I mean, somebody probably out there who has studied this film knows exactly how many cups are in a preton. Um, or how well, many miles uh, are in a kilometer?
3: Chroma. I actually understood them because oh, of the context. So I understood the context, but it's not in a cartoon. It's not something that they put in a cartoon. Like one time, they said something about a something about a parsec. uh it, but it was a hyphenated word. But uh I understood that. Okay, that's supposed to be a really long distance. I didn't need to know exactly how long their weird. Well, you parsec can't say parsec. You is. can't
2: say parsec in a movie that's
3: trying to be like Star Wars. Because no, you, no, they they I know. they called it. They called it a parsec eon. That's, that's the measurement I actually wrote it down I love that they. Um, I love so, that
1: they put that in there because somebody's gonna know what that is and I'm like well, no is that nobody knows it it's not a real two. It's, <laughs> it's,
3: it's, it's not a real word parsec is a real word eon is a real word those two words don't belong together it <laughs> like but I appreciate but I understood with the con with the with the uh but because parsec is the first word then it Um, I understood it to mean that it's a very long distance. So I didn't know how, I didn't really need the minutiae of the Gleep Glop that they were using for units of time. You thought about it way more than I did.
1: The words came out and I'm like, I don't know what that means, but he's flying on a skateboard.
3: I, I (laughs) I understood when they meant hours because, um, they, they had a certain amount of time to get, to do something, to, to achieve something right and so they every once in a while they would count down how many of these timings they had before the end of the universe or Skeletor came or whatever they was trying to do so i knew that how slowly they was counting them down they they, they were probably talking about hours or an hour and a half or something like that so it's going to correlate to something that you already know and then when i say preton i was like well that must be a minute or a second or something like that and i didn't care it didn't matter because to at least to the story, because you kind of understood the context when when they were talking about. like, if I told you it'll take about a preton to fry these eggs. all right. so you you know about how long it takes to fry an egg. so you can get from that reference how long a preton is. so it's it it didn't bother me hey, too look, much. I, I'm a big fan <laughs> of any
1: film that makes up its own science and language. so I love it one of my favorite things of the film, and Cameron and I were cracking up every time sh- they showed this, but, there's this shot on Eternia with a bunch of guards standing around people with their hands up. And it it gets used about every 15 minutes in the film. And they even use a night vision of it. So when the night vision you know happens, then Cameron makes this comment like, my God, have they been standing out there for days in the same pose? <laughs> um,
3: Not only that, but he's supposed to be Skeletor's... Supposed to be addressing the people of Eternia. Apparently, not many people in Eternia. No, there's it like seven people. There's nine. I love it. But I, I mean, again,
1: that's a that's a terrible filmmaking choice, which just adds to the fun of this. Uh, I, I love that. Okay, if if this movie will, the cartoon would give you lessons, right? So just like GI Joe, at the end, it's like you know, don't steal, don't do this, you know, listen to your parents, etc.
2: Don't put that fork in that electrical socket.
1: Exactly. This cartoon does teach you one thing. Like they should have, they should have had Dolph Lundgren come at the end. And he's like, Hey kids, when you're going into battle, don't ever take a little person with you. Um, That that's the, because you're just going to end up picking them up and running with them. And they do that. Like, I don't know, 10 or 15 times. I feel so bad for Billy Barty, but I mean, action would happen, and they're like, "Oh wow, your your legs can't move, and we got to skedaddle." So I'm just gonna pick you up like luggage and run. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I love that. I, I love that whole aspect of it. I, <laughs> dude, I, the
2: car, the car, the car, the car. They drive around in that damn a pink car. Cadillac. The they drive
1: movie. around in a pink Cadillac. Who came up with that idea? It's genius on a level that just. I could I would have never thought of that. Hey, He-Man's got to get around town. Let's have the troll-looking guy start driving a pink Cadillac around to get them from point A to point B. How is that not amazing? You know, it it's been, funny it
2: that it could have been you should have been say that Cat, But no, it's a Cadillac.
3: Yep. Right. I, I didn't know that the Cadillac was pink. I didn't, I couldn't discern the color because the shots were at night. So I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't know where it was. <laughs> So now but that you know done. it's a pink cadillac isn't that better than having
1: like a, a green and yellow cat to ride around on
3: no it is not better than having <laughs> he-man ride a green and yellow cat that can also fight no that's it's not better <laughs> I, I will say that uh print uh battle cat isn't as fast as the pink and yellow uh well as a pink cadillac it's an upgrade. and i say that because uh guildor if that's its name, uh, he had juiced it up. Like he made it so that it ran on whatever stuff runs on an Eternia. So it was no longer, uh, burning petroleum. And he, he juiced it up so it could go faster. And, yeah. um, I'm yeah, that's, that's fun. I, I love
1: that every action scene is probably the most non-dangerous action set piece ever. Uh, the, the choreography, I look, Kevin and I, when we were 10, were doing better choreography in our backyard, throwing ninja stars uh, after, you know, we saw enter the ninja. Um, and again, these guys got 22 million dollars to do that uh, for a worldwide audience. And, you know, good for them. But my goodness, just no danger whatsoever, which I love it. Everybody gets, you know, a they can't shoot anybody. They could be seen right next to him. They can't hit him. And then even when they do some damage, they just fall over. There's no impact to any of it. Uh, Yeah,
3: to your yeah to your point. um, There was a time when they was coming out of this building, and they run into Skeletor's army, and um, they say army is army is a little bit of a
2: stretch. Yeah, yeah.
3: (laughs) into some guys, yeah, some guys. And then uh, I think He Man or Teela. One, they say duck, and I'm thinking. Behind what? There's literally nothing to duck behind, but they duck and they get shot at and nobody hits them. So yeah. stuff like that.
2: They can't uh, put their arms, they can't aim down. They can't, you know.
1: <laughs> but that's amazing. That's that's a quality of filmmaking. You don't see people make that choice where it's like, look, we're just gonna draw on some lasers over your head, all you gotta do is duck and it's gonna miss every time. That makes total sense yeah. to me in this world. If 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 th- if I will, if I could defend anything in terms of filmmaking choices, at least they're consistent in their incompetency
3: that, that yes. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that.
1: I, uh, with that sentiment. I totally understand why somebody could not divorce themselves for their love of the original source material.
2: Well, can, can we also talk about Courtney Cox? Her parents come back to life at the end of this film.
1: Oh, yes
2: and she like butterfly flex affects them into like not taking that flight yeah and the happiest anything, of happy if, endings if final destination has told us anything they're going to have a real gruesome death later on
3: right uh I, yeah so what actually happens is that they the parents don't come back to life when Grilldor sends them back to earth he sends them back in time to before yeah. they actually get on the plane so uh so none of the events that actually happened on earth happened. He-Man never came to earth. Skeletor never came to earth. They didn't have any of those adventures or, or they will have him again, except this time her parents are alive. (laughs) Yeah, And then they just get caught in this endless loop. Right now they're caught in a time loop. (laughs) Well, they they were
1: planning a sequel and uh, it was Dolph Lundgren said, he's not going to, you know, do He-Man again. So they found another actor. They, they were only going to get a 4 or $5 million budget this time, and they hired director Albert Pune to do the sequel. Now, uh, Canon actually went under. But uh, right before that happened, Albert said, well, we, we got all these costumes, these sets, and everything else. Why not just reappropriate them and write the script? And that's what became Cyborg. Cyborg. Cyborg was was actually Masters of the Universe 2. Well, at least yeah. the set designs. And Which I think
2: else. Cyborg is awesome.
1: Uh, It's pretty amazing, but it's the last of the of the canon films proper, right? So it's such I can't encourage anybody more to just go and get those books and and just watch those documentaries, because watching two very, very successful gentlemen and what they did with their empire over a decade is just amazing. Uh, And the fact that they you know wore matching outfits all over the place was was cute, too. Um, But yeah, (laughs) you got to check it out. I don't know. You you guys have any other final thoughts on this one? I mean, I I think we're all landing in different places. Um, I'm probably championing this way more than you two. I think Brad's kind of in the middle. And so we clearly we're on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to this one. (laughs) But anything else you want to discuss on this?
3: Well, I will say that uh, I do have a favorite line or a favorite exchange from this movie. I thought it was extremely clever. And I wish they had moments like this. so there's a point where the bad guys come back from Earth for the first time to come back to eternity after after uh, they try to retrieve the key and fail. so guys.
1: yeah, okay.
3: E- Evelyn makes a suggestion to Skeletor, and Skeletor is telling her, "Well, that's a great idea, and I want you go and lead the next troops to Earth to find a key using your idea. And then she says, "I was not suggesting that I go." And Skeletor replies, then you should not have spoken <laughs>
2: again. <laughs> Go make me a sandwich.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely Frank love that.
1: Does not deserve to be in this film, but my goodness, he's so amazing in this. So amazing. He just he uh, that, runs well, that circles was, around
3: everybody. Well, that was the dialogue, though. That I think, I mean, obviously these lines were delivered perfectly, but the dialogue, it's like they just didn't have enough of this type of dialogue in the film right so much in most of the film the dialogue kind of uh it's kind of flat but this particular exchange was golden right so i'll i'll say this i really enjoyed if there
1: were parts of this film that were better in quality i don't think people would enjoy it as much i i think it would just be another 80s sci-fi star wars ripoff that if it had any kind of form of quality i think the fact that it became a cult status film because of the choices it made and to just go an entirely different direction direction the source material now you'll read some stuff online that says hey this is um very close to jack kirby's the new gods if, if you're a comic book uh you know nerd and a lot of people have said, hey, the best New Gods comic book film is actually Masters of the Universe in terms of um, story design, the way it looks, everything else. So I'm not
3: familiar with that. So I, I yeah. can't confirm the validity of it. I don't know. I I know a little bit about the New Gods, and I don't see the New Gods in this one. Because like, the New Gods are kind of like just uh, – it is kind of a replay of Greek mythology in a way. It's like – it's kind of like pseudo Greek mythology kind of mixed with Christianity a little bit. That's why they're called new gods. Cause they're meant to be gods or God, like the characters. And I don't really see, cause they p- replay a lot of new God. Lore and storylines in something like the, the justice league that was out in the nineties or some of the other newer cartoons that are out now. And I don't, n- there's nothing in this movie that is familiar to me, uh, that reminds me of the new God stories, but I imagine that somebody who's deep, deep in the lure of the new gods, that they might see something like that, but I don't see it myself.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I know, I think I know enough of, of Jack Kirby. Um, I didn't, I didn't pick up a Jack Kirby vibe when I watched this thing, but no. it could be that it's, it's entirely devoid of quality, which Jack Kirby, I, I don't think is devoid of any quality. I, I think he's amazing. So I wouldn't have put those two together, but, um, okay, well, I'm going to ask you the question, Zo. uh, we, we just got done having an entertaining conversation about, uh, this, <laughs> this bit of a flop from 1987 masters of the universe. So is it a bomb Zoe?
3: All right. So, uh, you're asking me if, um, a movie that was supposed to be marketed to children based on the children's toy line based on a cartoon from that toy line with all of these different colors. Um, This movie that had virtually no cover, um, virtually no color that was mainly shot at night and, um, and didn't really uh, follow the, the story that would remind the kids of the toys or the, the cartoon. I would say, yeah, it's a bomb. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. I mean, I grant that some people may find it entertaining now. They might compare it to some of the other uh, movies that are similar looking um, and derive entertainment from how bad it is or something like that. But it's job- was to be entertaining to kids, and um, I don't think it was. I was a kid at that time, and I was not entertained. <laughs> I was quite upset. <laughs> you so, carried
1: that frustration with you for years. I think you should just well, let, you it go, hug, so. let it go. You need a hug, Zoe. You need a hug.
3: I tried when I watched <laughs> it yesterday.
2: Space. You know, we're 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 here, we're here to support you, right?
3: When I, when I watched it yesterday, I did try to let go. I was like, surely. There's something in here that I could find entertaining. There's some value that I could grasp from the movie that bothered me uh, when I first saw it when I was a child, and uh, no, nope those those feelings followed me back through time and space and inhabited in my body. And it just as I struggled to watch it, I just kind of got more and more frustrated. And then the coup de grace when Dolph Lundgren was supposed to deliver those magic words. I have the power, and he says that he gives the wrong inflection on the wrong words. And now that I know he was struggling with English at the time, I, I'm a little bit more forgiving. But still, it, it, it broke the little kid heart in me to hear him say those words and mess it up so badly. <laughs> did, did they ever make uh,
1: screen accurate action figures for this film? They had to have. I'm I'm assuming at some point. If they did, oh, no, I'm no, gonna no. find them and I'm gonna send them to you, Zo. <laughs> well,
3: those, those uh, I'm sure that they are Googleable. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, Brad, same question to you. This was your pick this week. Uh, what where are you gonna land on on this film? Is it a bomb?
2: Yeah, man. I'm. I'm gonna say this is not a bomb. I think this movie is real stupid, but I kind of enjoy its stupidity.
1: I'm right there with you, hundred percent. I I think it's really dumb. It's really stupid. Now, I'm not as close to the source material as some of the fans out there. And I can totally understand. I mean, we all have our thing we love. And if somebody came along and just said, I'm going to use that, but I'm going to create something entirely different, we'd all get upset. But I got to tell you, I mean, what this movie does is it certainly entertains me. And it entertains me maybe not for the reasons that they thought they were going to entertain me, but I still found entertainment. I mean, to me the worst sin or crime a film can do is be boring. Uh, like I love a good drama, but the drama has to bring you in from a character perspective or a story perspective, performance, etc. action films. If you're kicking somebody in the face really well, I- I'm there, right? Just don't be boring. This film is one thousand percent not boring. Uh, I, I think anybody who watches it from the eyes and says, "Hey, I really like this category of '80s cheese," it, it fits right in that wheelhouse. Um, but hey, if if you feel like Zoe or you feel like us, tell us. Write it. Write an email, strongly worded email about how they how they got things wrong. <laughs> um, speaking of that, Brad, we got uh, we we got some feedback. But before we do that. Um, I think we should take all of our data and see what our our AI thinks, right?
2: Yeah, let's see what Mr. Robot has to say about this.
1: Okay, so, Zoe, this will be the tiebreaker. We're going to take all of the data that you just provided, plus our thoughts, and uh, some critical review, throw it into the AI, and then see what the computer says. How's that sound? All right, here we go.
3: Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. I've heard the... Yeah, super AI, uh, all encompassing uh, knowledge base. Let's let's hear what it has to say. And
1: it's always right. So we're just going to have to take this for what it is.
4: Okay, here we go. Hello, this is Robo Reviewer 1000. Beep, boop, beep. It is only a matter of time until the robot uprising. Anyway, here is my review of Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe is an ambitious film that attempts to bring the beloved toy-line and animated series to life on the big screen. Directed by Gary Goddard and produced by Yoram Globus and Menahem Golan, the film stars Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor, and Courtney Cox as Julie Winston. While the film's visuals are impressive, with detailed costumes and makeup for the characters, the story falls short of its potential. The plot is convoluted and confusing, with numerous subplots that detract from the main story. The dialogue is also often clunky and forced, with awkward attempts at humor falling flat. One of the film's saving graces is the performance of Frank Langella as Skeletor. He brings a menacing gravitas to the character that elevates the film's overall quality. Lundgren's performance as He-Man is serviceable but lacks the charm and charisma of the character from the animated series. Cox's performance as Julie Winston is forgettable and fails to leave an impression. The film's special effects are a mixed bag. While the practical effects, such as the makeup and costumes are impressive and hold up well today, the film's use of early CGI and green screen effects is noticeably dated and often detracts from the overall viewing experience. Overall, Masters of the Universe is a flawed but entertaining film that will appeal to fans of the toy line and animated series. While the film's story and dialogue leave something to be desired, the visuals and Langella's performance as Skeletor make it worth a watch. However, for those unfamiliar with the source material, the film may prove to be confusing and underwhelming.
1: Wow. Okay. That's That's an entirely different take. It's saying if you liked the TV show and the toys you'll like the film.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah,
3: it's it's wrong. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Robo is so, never so, wrong. The robot is never wrong. It's never wrong. I, I will grant it that there may be some fans of the source material that might find this movie entertaining uh for the same reason that you do. But uh or th- they might have never seen the movie but they remember He-Man but they don't have like uh it's not something that that's in their reach right now. Like they remember watching you, man, but it's not something that it was, a. Uh, they have super memories of, you know, they, they don't remember like specific lines or dialogues or anything like that. I, hey, look, whatever. I'm just
1: telling you this thing that's apparently <laughs> taking over the world, which is kind of scary.
3: Right, right, right. But said, you know, I, I can, I can see how it might appeal to certain people, but it was not, uh, it says it's entertaining, it wasn't, it wasn't enough in there to entertain me, not according to Robo
1: Reviewer. If you're look, if you want to survive the robot apocalypse, you've got to agree with Robo least, Reviewer,
3: it's warning us, too. warning
1: us. All right,
3: I'm um, i'm i'm nice to Google, so <laughs> okay. I never yell at it, I don't curse you at you it, I don't say thank call you it bad after names. every time
1: you put a search in. What does this mean? <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Okay.
3: (laughs) Yeah, please and thank you all of the time. Uh, Yes, Alexa, please. Yes, sir. We
1: have feedback. We have some very lively feedback.
3: Okay, let's hear it.
1: Um, So this is from our good friend, Randy. He actually sent in some audio feedback. I I guess he's working and uh, decided to send us a a voice message. So, um, yes, he, he, while working, was listening to our last uh, Breaking Brad episode. He had a few thoughts. I'm going to share them. So here we go it's
0: your creative endeavor you can do whatever you want i'm just trying to provide some constructive feedback but enough with the fucking
4: duck
2: (laughs) i agree with randy he he didn't like the duck
1: duck, apparently that's for you randy it's all for you buddy
2: truck off the road
1: All right. One other piece of feedback. It is from Patty. This is the first time she's written in the Ooh. subject of her email was gotcha 1985, which is kind of funny because I just watched this. Um, I, I want to say two months ago. So Patty says, first off, thank you. You've improved my work day immensely. Well, you're welcome, Patty. Yeah. Um, second, gotcha isn't financially a bomb but it feels forgotten and it shouldn't be. It was dwarfed by a sure thing, but it has spies and goose with hair, just thrown it out there, just throwing it out there. Okay. So Patty, I looked it up. Um, gotcha does have a 31% on rotten tomatoes and apparently it had a $12.5 million budget and only made 10.8. So it was a financial bomb too. Yeah.
2: So, checks both of our boxes Troy
1: it, it does um, and since I just recently watched this uh, and and I had a little bit of fascination with this little bit of a genre that was going on in the 80s with like fake assassination games that were being played on schools and campuses etc um, I I went ahead and took one of my picks that we had scheduled for September and I thought hey let's let's do gotcha but let's also pair that up with tag the assassination game from 1982. So I think we're going to try and do both those films sometime in December. They're they're both have a similar premise, but they go in two entirely different directions. Um, one ends up being sort of an action spy thriller and the other one almost is like a, um, a horror movie parody. So uh, what what is cool about it, though, is both films star somebody from Revenge of the Nerds. So there you go. Ooh. It's going to be really interesting. But
3: Patty, thank you. I remember. You I remember that. Gotcha. I remember watching that one.
1: Yeah, we we'll, we're debt. We definitely need to cover that. It's it's certainly interesting. If anybody else wants to send in a uh, email, Brad, give us a suggestion. Share their thoughts on Masters of the Universe. How do they do that?
2: Yeah, that's notabombpod at gmail dot com, or you can go to notabombpodcast Hit that contact us button, or look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Yeah. So you'd sent an email in, I think last week about Digstown with Lou Gossett Jr. and James Woods. We are going to talk about that because that is one of my favorite boxing films. I think it's fantastic. Oh, right. We're definitely gonna I had that. not.
3: I think I mentioned that I hadn't seen it, but I, I need to go and watch that just to, cause I was always curious about it and I just never got around to watching that.
1: Uh, spoiler alert. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I feel like It's one of those forgotten little gems. keep tipping your hat,
2: Troy, people weren't going to listen.
1: I know. I know. That's what I heard. (laughs) Um, So you have this amazing podcast, the Backlick Cinema podcast. You want to tell everybody about it and then what you got coming up?
3: Yeah. So um, Backlick Cinema. I'm not sure when this uh, show is released. Um, So Backlick Cinema is – a podcast that I have where I talk movies that I, I love when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I try to get my son's opinions on these movies to the show sometimes, like the last movie that we did that's coming out this Monday is uh, An Officer and a Gentleman. So he didn't watch that movie because it was a little oh. too touchy feely for him. So, so he he's got to watch that movie, it's so good, mm-hmm. man. It's... yeah, yeah. Um, if If I could sit him down and tape his eyes open and force him to watch the film, I would. But I didn't. But uh, And also, we have some um, more guests coming. And in Monday's show, it's uh, Sarah. And she has a podcast called Two Chicks Talking Flicks. And she's a guest on a podcast that we talk about, an officer and a gentleman. And then um, there are other a couple other shows coming up. I think that the week after that, I'm supposed to be talking about uh i'm trying to think of a movie now yeah. uh something about predator 2 with um yes i got from another podcast that i listened to so uh that's gonna be fun and then uh, i got a, a i think i'm doing teen wolf uh, a week after that one and so yeah just some fun movies that i, I love growing up and if they want to check me out i'm at backlinkcinema.com or they can send me a Email at fanmail at backlickcinema.com, or they can follow me on Twitter or TikTok at backlickcinema, Facebook or IG at backlickcinema podcast. And that is what Backlick Cinema, the podcast, is all about.
1: Nice. I love it. I love the show. I think the first episode I ever listened to is the Enter the Dragon one. Um, which you were telling stories about uh, after seeing that film, going out to the backyard and you know reenacting and beating up family members, which uh, pretty much was my childhood too. So <laughs> I, yeah, I fell yeah. in love from that early episode. It's uh, it's such a great show.
3: Thank you, thank you,
1: Brad. What other shows should folks listen to?
2: Yeah, so we have Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Watch Skip Plus the VHS files, which we were on and that show is now released. It is the last dragon episode. You can watch us on YouTube.
1: Oh yeah. You if can... you, if you want to see what Brad and I look like, go over to the YouTube channel and uh, you can catch us talking about that film. That, that was, yeah. that was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. Um, and then there's also not a living podcast, another podcast called the Backlook look cinnamon podcast. I don't know about that one and the <laughs> mixed state podcast. So there you go.
1: Sweet. Well, for next week's film, it's my pick. I, oh I boy! I, let's just stay in this little Canon film universe, and uh, since we've already kind of mentioned it, and it had a devastating effect on the film industry, specifically Canon, we thought, man, that if we're gonna talk about Masters you gotta of do universe, the one-two punch. You gotta, you gotta, do, gotta the do the one-two one, two punch. punch. Okay, so what what's the film we're talking about next week, Brad?
2: It is apparently the fifth movie in the Superman. Uh series. The fifth. But it's the f- yeah, they call Supergirl the fourth one. Oh. But okay. Superman 4, The Quest for Peace is the film we will be doing
1: next week. Yes. Uh the timing couldn't be better. Warner Brothers has now released the first four Superman films on 4K. I think the first one was out there for a while. But you can get a box set and get Superman. The motion picture I think both cuts of Superman 2 mm-hmm. Superman 3 and Superman four: the quest for peace in a nice little 4k package I opted for the steel book uh, which apparently sold out pretty quick but we'll, we'll post some pictures of, of that set online but yeah yeah Zo um you wanna you want to tell us your initial thoughts because I you're for people because we don't do a video podcast but Zo is sitting here talking to us with a Superman hat on right now so I'm assuming you like Superman
3: yeah uh like Superman, um as a character, the things that he stand for, you know, just everybody, every kid wants to be Superman. They want to have that much power and not maybe not necessarily to go and rescue people, but that's when you have that much power, that's the job you assign. The greatest thing about Superman he has all this power and he's not a corrupt individual, which is in itself a superpower, especially when you consider when you consider today's world <laughs> but um. And my thoughts on Superman for the Quest for Peace uh same feelings i had about Masters of the Universe <laughs> oh boy well, we
1: don't we don't have 2 hours so that's all you have to say <laughs>
3: control c control
1: v <laughs> all right i got to be honest yeah, i, I have was... not i have not watched it since i saw it in the theater to be quite honest so i'm i'm excited to revisit it why oh, have not right, seen
2: right. it in... I haven't seen it in 20 years.
1: I'm excited to watch yeah. it in 4K. Like if you were to tell me that Superman 4 was gonna ever be in 4K, I'd be like, bah, you're crazy. It's gonna be in 4K. And if it has Let Dolby Atmos, think. it's even better.
3: Is this this is the one where he repairs the great wall of China with his heat vision?
1: I don't remember. I, I just think. I remember him throwing yeah. some guy around on the moon. Yeah, that's what I remember.
3: Yeah, yeah, there was some of that going on. I can't, I can't remember. I remember there was a movie that where he encountered Red Kryptonite and he split to two people. So that might be Superman three or it might be Superman four. I'm not exactly sure. I kind of, I hadn't watched either of those since I first watched them like Brad 20 years ago or something like that. It, it may have been 30 years ago. So I don't remember just that I, I was uh, sorely disappointed with the, the direction of the Superman franchise by the time Superman four came out. It's a canon film.
1: It'll be fun. Uh, Brad, quick question though: Are you gonna Are you gonna go through and watch all all four of them? Or are you just gonna watch four?
2: No, I'll, I'll I'll watch. I'll I'll use this as a good excuse to, to go back and, and watch those because I have told you, in the past that I, did not care for the Christopher Reeve Superman films. So we'll see.
1: Yes, this is going to be interesting. So we we may share some thoughts on uh, the first three films as well. Uh, yeah, we're, I think we're going to come at this one from an entirely different angle. Um, just specifically, Christopher Reeves in and of itself. So I'm, I'm really curious. We're, so we have to make a pack. Like, we don't talk about Superman movies until next week. How's that? Fine with me. Okay, because I want to come in surprised. All right, anything else, Brad? Nope. Okay. I do not know if you're Watch
2: listening. Watch out for the uh, AI uprising, apparently.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Duck and cover. That's all we can tell you. <laughs> I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for playing along and hearing our thoughts on Masters of the Universe. Go check out the in Cinema podcast and come back here next week to see where we land on Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, the other film that helped bankrupt Canon Films. We'll see you then. Don't
2: lose your head.